This is Patriots Playbook. The legend. Dun, 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 There will be no silver lining Thursday. Dun, 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 dun. I'm getting depressed. Listen to you people. Patriots lose Monday at Arizona. Yeah. The, the ride's over. Ova. O-V-A-H. Ova. I watched Scrooge this week. Bah, humbug. Now, here's your host of Patriots Playbook, John Rook. You just love to throw that back in my face, don't you? <laughs> uh, you know, last few years, it's kind of funny, because the last few years that we've we've done this show, I, I actually w- was thinking that I was actually getting pretty good at predicting things. <laughs> you know, Rick Stradamus was even giving me credit for coming up with the right thing every now and then, you know? And... Call what, me now for your free reading. Exactly. And, and and what really I think this shows us is that, you know, the sport is just extraordinarily unpredictable. Um, that anybody can win at any time, <laughs> at, at any rate of play, you know, in any way. I mean, wow. The Patriots are, you know, I'm, I'm reminded of a, st- of a stunt when I was just out of school. Uh, you know, those of you that follow the show for a, long, uh, for a while know that I went to the University of Texas at Austin. And the basketball coach, when when I was at UT, was a gentleman by the name of Abe Lemons. Uh, he's since passed on, but Coach Lemons was uh, an irascible character. Gruff, rough guy, you know, and he would always he would talk like this all the time, you know. And he just, he was just like, you know, uh, he was the kind of guy would, uh, you know, after we would lose a tough one on the road, he'd say, why so gloomy? We get to go home. They got to stay here. You know, he'd be that kind of guy. But I remember after uh, Texas had lost four or five in a row because they'd had some injuries this is the year after I graduated, and the, there was a, a, a somber funeral uh, dirge procession to open up his radio, his TV show, rather. And then the spotlight shines on a coffin. The coffin opens up. Abe is in the coffin, okay? And he rises up with a lily on his chest. And he turns and he looks at the camera and he says, we ain't dead yet. It was the greatest single open to a coach's show I've ever seen in my life. I laughed until I couldn't laugh anymore. I laughed until I cried when I saw that. And I kind of feel this way about the Patriot season. They just keep coming back. They're not dead yet. And so that's really kind of where we'll start the show today. Um, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd like to find out from you. I'd really like to find out from you what you think it is. Because this team offensively is nowhere near playing to its capability. And, of course, then again, you could even argue that their capability may not be <laughs> what it was uh, certainly over the last few years. What, what, what are they doing it with? Smoke and mirrors, you know, gum and glue. What what are they doing it with? <laughs> Some would say they're doing it with Matt Patricia and Joe Judge. <laughs> and I'm saying that jokingly, of course. But I'm just, you know, some would say that. I don't know because I, I, I'm really trying to put my finger on it. And, you know, I don't think I don't think that, that, that Bill Belichick is is really coaching any differently than he has in the last several years. He knows that this is a struggle. He knows that he doesn't have – he's not swinging with the full arsenal here. He knows that. And, and I think we'll probably find out a lot more about this process uh, once we do finally get into the offseason this year. And I think there will be some things that will undoubtedly end up revealing themselves. 
But what are they doing it with right now? What are they doing it with? And do you feel like there are signs of the playoffs? For, forget the fact that, you know, well, they're not going to do anything in the playoffs. You know what? So what? The playoffs are a brand new season. Everybody's 0-0. And I realize they got stomped last year in the playoffs against Buffalo. So, well, who good was that? Well, you know what? To the Jacksonville Jaguars, that would have been hellacious here. To the Houston Texans, that would have been a good year. To the Detroit Lions, that would have been a great year. Okay? So I think you have to put things in the proper perspective. To fans of the New England Patriots who are spoiled out of their freaking minds, okay, Ooh, we got beat. What good does it do us? Look, I think you have to, to look at this differently. This is not the dynastic team of 2000 to 2020 or 2000 through 2019. It's just not. So this team has had to sort of renew itself, reinvigorate itself, regrow itself, reform itself, you know, reconfigure itself, do a lot of different things. This is not the team. This is not your little brother's team or your little sister's team. This is not. It's just not. It's different. Same coach, yes, but lots of other differences here. And I think the idea here is to give this team, this staff in particular, a chance to do it. Now, I've been critical of Bill. You've been critical. We've all been critical of Bill. I scream, you scream, we all scream. And we have. We've all screamed. But the bottom line here is, is that, look, consider the overall universe of the National Football League. Do you really feel like there is one or two or three or even, let's go back to one, dominant team in the NFL? No, there's not. Buffalo's really good. Kansas City's still really good. Okay, Philadelphia may be pretty good. But when you watch them play, do you feel like they're unbeatable? Do you feel like they're invincible? Do you feel like they're the Pittsburghs of the 70s, the, Noin- the Niners of the-, the Niners, the Niners of the 80s, the Cowboys of the 90s, the Patriots of the 2000s? Nobody thought the Patriots of the 2000s were unbeatable. Nobody did. And yet they kept winning. I just don't get that feel this year. I really believe that this could be the year. You know, and I say this now, and it's easy to say now because it's just, you know, a random thought here. But, I, you know, listen, I, I wouldn't be, a, you know, you've only got one team that gets a bye now, the way that the playoffs are set up, right? Only one team. The team with the best record in each conference is going to get a bye. Right now, if the playoffs were to tomorrow, we're, being, we're going to be held tomorrow. It'd be Philadelphia and it'd be Buffalo. Buffalo would be the top seed in the AFC. Do you feel like Buffalo is that much better than you? And before you answer... Before you answer, okay, look, I think we realize that it's a bad matchup for the Patriots. And I think we realize that they're, they, they, they have superior offensive personnel, but I think the Patriots defensively stack up with just about anybody right now, especially with the resurgent play of, of Josh Uche. I mean, my goodness, he's come out over the last six to ten weeks like he's been shot out of a cannon. Ten sacks in seven weeks of play. There's a reason why he was the Defensive Player of the Week in the AFC this week. He's been spectacular. When you put him on one end and you put Matt Judon on the other end, and I think the Patriots coaching staff, again, let's give them a little credit here. I think they've done a good job with marking the time of Matt Judon because that was a huge problem last year. He just got wore out, and they're trying to save him for more energy and more legs underneath him for later in the year this year. And I think the philosophy is starting to work. 
He's much more active now than he was in the second half last year, if we remember correctly. I think the Patriots linebackers are improved. Not great, not where you want to be, but improved. The secondary has even had its moments. Eldred's secondary hasn't always been sucky. Oh, yeah, they, they've, they've had some, uh, oh, yeah, we know. They've had their moments. But I would argue that point to a secondary that hasn't had its moments this year, both good and bad. I think the Patriots' safeties may be as good as they are in the league, and that's with you know Devin McCourty being clearly at the tail end of his career because we've seen him unable physically to do some of the things he's been able to do in the recent past. And I'm glad to see that you know his injury isn't quite serious enough to where it's going to keep him out for any amount of time. So you know, or, or if at all, I you know I think the Patriots are in pretty good shape there. I like the fire that I see from Mac Jones. I like the fire. I think he's starting to take over the ownership. I think he's starting to like you know play pissed off, piss it off. Piss offedness. Piss off. He's playing with a certain piss offedness. Our good friend who used to listen to this show from Colleen, <clears throat> who passed away a few years ago, that was his favorite saying piss offedness. And I think Mac is playing with a little bit of that. And, and that makes me happy as an observer, as a fan of the team. Now, does that mean they're going to get into the playoffs? No. Does that mean if they get in, they're going to win a game? No. Does it make me feel better than I felt this time a week ago? Yes. Because this time a week ago, I mean, Evan sat right across from me here. And by the way, Evan's going to join us from Vegas in about five minutes. So uh, Evan Lazar will join us uh, live from Vegas for the latest. Uh, Andy Hart, big head, he's going to join us uh, in 30 minutes. Uh, Then we'll have uh, Tony Cordasco. Uh, who's a talk show host, radio talk show host in Las Vegas. He's going to join us at 3.15 our time. And then, of course, Russell Baxter, the one and only pro football guru, will join us for week 15 around the NFL uh, at the bottom of hour two of our program today. So we got a packed show. want to invite you to the program. 88, uh, excuse me, 888-855-PATS-500. 855-PATS-500. I don't know why I still – it's taken me a number of years to just get used to the 855 thing. I don't know why, but it just has. I automatically just think 888 because that was the second number, I think, after 800 numbers, you know. <laughs> Call me now for your free reading. Uh, 855-PATS-500. So the phone lines are open. Web radio at patriots.com. The email address at Broadcaster. That's the follow on Twitter. Thank you to the new followers. And you can post on my Facebook page as well. Now – I ask you very simply, very simply, okay? Are there signs of playoff life, and where do you see them? Would you rather them just tear it all down and get a top-five draft pick? No, I wouldn't, but would you? I'm just kind of curious as to how you feel. Do you feel better about this team in a week's time? I do. And, and, and really, I mean... The Arizona game stunk. It was a terrible game. It was a lousy, anesthetic, uh, aesthetically speaking, game. <laughs> it wasn't anesthetic. <laughs> it was. It totally was. But the Patriots played well enough defensively, and they got just enough on offense. And, and, and they got, you know, the defense to score for them. You know, a pessimist would say they scored 20 points against one of the worst defenses in the NFL. 
An optimist would say, well, they beat a team at home on the road for the Patriots, but they beat a home team, the Cardinals, by 14 points. When we know when you play on the road, that's an automatic anywhere from three to six points, usually for the for the home team. So if the home team is a three-point favorite at home, that means basically the game's a toss-up, right? You've heard that for a long, long time. And the Patriots thrashed them by two touchdowns. So there's different ways that you can look at this. I'm not going to say this team is going to make the playoffs. You know, they can still lose Sunday to the Raiders. Josh McDaniels knows the Patriots about as well as anybody. And, of course, the Patriots know Josh probably about as well as anybody. So I almost give that a little bit of a, of a push, if you will. But who's more desperate? The Raiders and trying to make an impression in Josh's first year? I mean, that was a playoff team a year ago. They're not going to make it this year, even if they haven't really eliminated, been eliminated yet. But it doesn't look like they're going to make it this year. Uh, you know, and, and there were already people in Vegas – and people around the NFL calling for Josh's head as recently as two or three weeks ago. Maybe even this week. I haven't read you know a lot of the papers in Vegas, but I'm like, wow, really? The guy's first year. You know, and Mark Davis, the owners, had to come out and say, uh, no, Josh is our coach. He didn't need to. Ha- he didn't have to do that, but he did. He felt like it was necessary to do that. Who's playing with more of a sense of urgency for this week? Geez, you got to hope that it's New England because you know uh, numerically speaking. You win this week, you move to 8-6, and six, you get a home game on Christmas Eve against Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals who are lit on fire. They're playing like the defending AFC champs right now, but at least you got that game at home. And I also think the holiday games are really, really hard for road teams to play, i.e. the Patriots playing you know, <laughs> on Thanksgiving. I just think it's a distinct advantage for the home team at holiday time, when you're playing at home on holidays, you know you still got the comfort of home. You got your family. You know you got you know the meals. You got the gifts. You got all the. It's it's it's. There's a comfort level there. At least the Patriots have the comfort level for that game against Cincinnati. And then of course you're going to end up with you know Buffalo and Miami, which are two games that you know frankly they're going to have to win three of the last four, I think, to get into the postseason. That's a tall task. But Miami has also stumbled the last couple of weeks. I don't think Buffalo looks as hard to beat this year as they looked last year. And the Patriots beat them once last year. I don't know. Let's find out what you think. 855-PATS-500. Moises in Connecticut is going to lead us off here. Oh, no! Moises, where you be? Where you be? All right, so let's do this. Eldred, what's happening, my man? Hello? Is he hey, there? Mr. Mr. Oh, Legend? there you are. Hey, Eldred. How yeah. are you? Hey, fine, sir. How you doing? Everything's good today, brother. Everything's good. Okay. Feel a little bit better, too. Are you? But, uh, yeah. Hey, by the way, okay. Eldred, I have to ask you something. I have to ask, I have to ask you a, a trade question. When you when you make if you ever you know make another you know long you know country uh, you know cross country haul, can I be your swamper? Yeah. <laughs> uh, usually, be people already, already at, at the warehouse to do that, but I don't do long distance no more. Okay. I'm local. Oh, you're just local yeah, only? Local. All right. I've always yeah, wanted to be a trucker swamper. You want to tell everybody what that is? Uh, that's what? Hip and unload and load trucks? No, I don't, I don't do that. Okay. I just pull to the dock, 
they load and then, and then they unload. Oh, because I have to do it. They're gonna pay me like five hundred bucks. Wow. <laughs> now you understand why I want to be your swamper. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. Not afraid of a little hard labor. Not afraid. Not afraid. No, not afraid. I did that one time. They had a forklift. Yeah. And it was a place where they both have lumpers, but the guys didn't show up. So uh, I said, how much you pay the lumper? He said, uh, three fifty. I said, well, you pay me four fifty, I'll do it. <laughs> you know? Okay. Okay. And he said, what? I said, well, this is your merchandise on my trailer. I can just take it back to the take it back to the yard, and then you got to make up another appointment. But you need this now, right? And he looked at me and said, "Darn!" I said, I said "Well, yeah, but I get mine as cash, yeah, <laughs> just like they do." <laughs> You're, so he you, ended up paying me four hundred. <laughs> you are oh, so you at least you all right? So you at least willing to play ball with him a little bit? Really play, yes, I played ball. All right, all right. Ball. My boss man didn't like it though. Why? Because uh, see, we ain't supposed to unload trucks. Oh, you know, and it, and if we do it, so I work with JB, still work with JB Hunt now. They'll sit, they'll pay you less wages. They pay you like a hundred bucks, gotcha. one hundred fifty. Yeah, I'm like, I'm not unloading no stuff for one hundred fifty dollars. I'm yeah. sorry. Is that I a union? I only drove ten years. Is that a union thing? Ten hours. Is that a union thing? No, they, they're not union. They won't go union. Oh, no, they won't go union. Okay. No, because they be they be different than everything else. I got you. You know, they won't go union. I got you. No. Okay. They just they set pay. All but, right. Uh, getting back to some of us. For Patriots fans, yeah, we not okay. I take that back. I am spoiled of the winning thing because, like I was telling PU, I was the biggest trash talker for twenty years. <laughs> now I'm getting all the trash talk to me. <laughs> and one, and one, now, one good phrase. Hey, if you're phrase, gonna dish it, you you got to learn to take it, man. I was taking it. Okay. Until one, of my, like I said, my brother-in-law hit me with one like, "Why the greatest coach of all time coaching a high school team in the NFL league?" Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and that was a bad joke. Mm-hmm. I, I almost lost it. Mm-hmm. But I said, well, you got to look at it. You didn't include, that includes the coaching. Sure. So I said, yeah, I guess so. But, you know, I'm taking it. Good thing. But but we don't mind losing. Put some on the field that we can cheer for. You know, defense looking great. And like uh, like they always say, one side helps the other side and give the other side hope. Mm-hmm. But, Darren, if I have to carry you for 15, 16 games, you're wearing me out. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Okay. But it ain't all, you know, it ain't all the offense's fault. It's the head man's fault for being a dummy for putting putting somebody that doesn't know offense, and then you're gonna swap two guys on the tackle. That's why you got tackle issues. You can pay one guy for the right tackle, but you put him left tackle, like he's gonna perform and work there. You know. Then the left guy, left tackle, he's looking for a contract year, and you can put him on the right side. That's oh, dumb. Okay. You already had the offensive line. Yeah. You know that you'd had to get rid of, mm-hmm. but you got rid of the two 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 guards, Karras and and the one that playing at, playing over there at uh at the Buccaneers right now. Mm-hmm. You get a fifth round draft pick for a Pro Bowl guard, Joe Tony. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. But other than that, you know, uh, I uh, if they do get a push off uh, a playoff push, I'll be happy. But I'm sitting down like everybody else. Okay, what do it look like? You know, if the offense can't score more than ten points. Or three, you know, what used to going. Well, and then if you was to get a top five pick, Bill won't do right. No, he'll trade out. He gets <laughs> value picks, like I said before. <laughs> value only good for, for McDonald's. It ain't good at the NFL. Well, yeah, track record kind of. I mean, I don't know that you trade out of a top five pick, and I don't think the Patriots, even if they weren't to make, if they weren't going to make the playoffs, if they don't make the playoffs this year, they're still not going to pick. But, but where? Somewhere in the middle of the first round. But, but, about fourteen to seventeen, something like that. Yeah, so I'm like, and you still a trade out. 
Well, now that that I agree with. If you get the pick there, that probably would be a trade out. Uh, but see, that's dumb because last year you had Devin Lloyd there, you had Olave there, you had the guy from Oregon State there, you had uh, defensive backs there. All right, and you pick a confound guard from Chattanooga. All right, all right, okay, all right. Well, but okay, but let's let's all right. So let's look at it from the other side. You know that guard from you know you know or that tackle now a guard from Tennessee Chattanooga. I mean he's been plug and play all year. Has he had bad moments? Sure, but I would also argue that you know that the offensive line around him has been a mess, and he's been certainly one of the constants in an entire season of upheaval. And I would also argue that he hasn't played near as well or up to his capability without. David Andrews in the lineup when Andrews has been out hurt. And with Andrews in the lineup, he, he's been more than adequate. And then every, yeah, Andrews helping him. Well, there's you no. Know, he's, he's, well, yeah, Andrews would help yeah. any rookie. Yeah. Andrews yeah. would help he any rookie. That, you know? Yes. But like I said, you wouldn't have had a problem on the line if you'd have kept uh, Trent Brown on the right side and kept Wendy on the left side and give him a chance to make his money. And it is about money. It ain't about playing, it's money. Because this is a business now, it's not a sports no more. Them guys are not getting paid. And okay. you know that. <laughs> well, yeah, that's uh, sure. I understand that. But I also also yeah. know, and, and you know as well as anybody, Elder, that one of the things the Patriots offensive line has preached over the last several years is versatility. I didn't think it would be as big a deal as it has apparently turned out to be flip-flopping the tackles, especially sure. with Isaiah Wynn being. Gear, in a contract year, come on, John. You about to get your money, you got to, but he's gonna flop you to the other side. Well, but you ain't never played him, but but a, but a couple of times. And maybe, you, maybe, but you was on the left side. Maybe they and also. Brown. Maybe maybe they also knew that we're we're not gonna play. We're not gonna pay a guy like Isaiah Wynn unless you know he can give us you know what we're not sure he can give us. So they're putting him over on the left side, and now they hold all the cards in terms of the negotiations. No. Well, uh, no, because because he's not only dead, he just throw that man in his money. And his chances, you know, if you go somewhere else, he might get a little something until he can prove himself on the left side or whatever, mm-hmm. where he started at. You know, but see, that's wrong. That's bad politics. That's, that's Bill Kenny pension for value. And that's cool. Yeah. Because, like I said, you got to pay the guys these this time, especially if they're good. If they could do my job, just like Paul said before, okay, we got Fred. If, if, if Myers, he might not be the best wide receiver or the fastest wide receiver, but does he do what I want him to do? Does he make the, make the needle move? Is he the one of Max guys? Yeah, but you won't sign him. You won't pay him. You know, you yeah. pay three cheap, cheap wide receivers instead of paying one good one that you really need mm-hmm. to go after that that, that all. Now I ain't saying Myers Myers that dog, but I'm like like I said, AJ Brown, Bill wouldn't have pulled that trigger. A couple years when Hopkins left Houston, I was hoping he could in for Brady. He didn't pull that trigger either. You know. Bill won't pull the trigger because he really, like he's like this thing, his mantra is, I'd rather pay three for one instead of having that one. And I've been saying that for 15 years. And then now everybody says, yeah, we need that one. I've been telling you that. Quarterback does need help, even the greatest. Mm-hmm. They do need help. You know, and them guys want to make their money, and they want to, you know, get their catches or whatever. Because that's why they call them divas. But, hey, they move the needle. Wow. You can't move the yeah. needle by the penny piece. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. Hey, uh, Matt, breaking news. Henry Cavill is not returning as Superman. Uh, this is upsetting, I know. I know. I'm, <laughs> oh, I'm, man. I'm shocked by that one. He might in some capacity, but he's no longer our Superman. Well, that kind of sucks. But then again, he probably doesn't want to be, he doesn't want to be uh, typecast, does he? 
Probably. The reason they're doing it is because they're not doing an origin, but they're doing a young Superman as their next Superman movie. Oh, so it'll be like from a Superboy to Superman thing? Pretty much going to be teenage, like early 20s Superman. Uh, Oh. I'm almost almost glad it's not another origin story. I don't need to see Krypton blow up again. Yeah, I know. We all know Krypton blows up, so... Yeah, but see, I like DCs too, and Do I you? wish they would keep to the comic books instead of making their own strip. And I know. Then they're showing, showing their face all the time. Yeah, yeah. They wouldn't like that in the comics. No, <laughs> they never. That's did. true. That's very true. <laughs> all right, we got we have Evan Lazar from Las Vegas. So hang on there for a second, Eltrud. But Evan, okay, we sir. we were talking a little bit about um, you know the, the the tackle situation, and quite frankly, I mean, I, I don't know that there's anything nefarious going on here. But why do you think, in your estimation, the, the Patriots decided ultimately to flip flop Trent Brown and Isaiah Wynn, and and does that play into the Patriots' hand in terms of negotiations? I, I think ultimately it was a decision to help Cole Strange because I think what they saw last year with Michael Ocuinio over at left guard next to Isaiah Wynn is that he struggled in that position. A good offensive lineman that they knew could play in the league was struggling playing next to Isaiah Wynn for whatever reason. And I think what they wanted to do was make the best possible situation for the rookie where they felt like they were putting him between the two best linemen on the team, and David Andrews and Trent Brown on the left side. So if you ask me, I think that that was where it started was let's move over Trent to the left side and let him and David Andrews bring the rookie along and kind of protect the rookie a little bit. And then also let's see what Isaiah Wynn can give us that right tackle. So I don't know if it's necessarily um, from their perspective, a contracting off the jump, right? Like, I don't know if that's the number one reason why they did it. I, I think from a, a secondary reason there as well. I, I do think that there was a little bit of doubt of whether or not Isaiah Wynn was going to be on this team in 2022. So I think right. that there was a conversation of, all right, well, Trent's going to be our left tackle. The other four guys are going to practice in training camp and mini camp at their spots. And if we get a trade market for Isaiah Wynn, we might end up moving on from him. But instead of having to completely reconfigure the line, once we do move on, uh, we're just going to have Isaiah Wynn play right tackle. So I, I think that that was more of where it was coming from than, let's say, let's move Isaiah Wynn over there to make him cheaper. Sure. Right? Like, I, I don't necessarily think it was that. I, I think that there was a real possibility uh, going into training camp and then in training camp that if they could have found How you a good trade partner uh, for Wynn, they would have. Okay. So, um, uh, I mean, in, in hindsight, do you feel like they made the right move? Um, do you feel like uh, you know the sixty-four thousand, or in this case, sixty-four million dollar question might be, you know, how much more movement do they really need to make in the off season? I think it's pretty clear to see they need more bodies and they need more quality at those positions. Yeah, I, I think that that's their highest priority going into the off season is a franchise tackle. I, I would say left tackle, preferably, because we do know that. Trent is very capable of flipping back over the right side and playing at a high level there. So he doesn't have a big issue of flip-flopping as much as Isaiah Wynn has. So I I think that that's not a big problem if that's the way they decide to go. So you also have the ability there, too, that if you draft a tackle in the first round or early in the second round or something like that, and you want to break that player in and take it slowly with that player, then Trent Brown, just like he did for Isaiah Wynn back in 2018, can be a bridge uh, to the the next tackle, right, to the next guy there. So uh, I would say right now that tackle to me is their number one need going into the draft. Now, I think their number one offseason need 
is probably still more firepower on offense. But I think in general, when you look at the draft and their history with the draft, they've done a good job with the linemen. So I would say that I'd prefer them to take a tackle in the first round and let's say a wide receiver there. All right. Elder, you got anything you want to ask Evan since he's in Vegas and he's out there with his finger on the pulse of everything? No, but I still say that messed them guys up because you put Wynn over the over the right side on this contract year, and then you paid uh, Brown for a right tackle. You put him on left side, left side that pays more, but he's not getting the pay. That's you got two guys upset, and it shows because they played better than that last year than the year before last. I, I definitely I think. think that you have a, a a case for Isaiah Wynn there. I don't think Trent Brown is upset. Uh, we talked to him yesterday. And he seems pretty locked in. I, I, I don't necessarily think that uh, there's anything going on with his mental or his psyche. He's been sick. Uh, he told us yesterday that he lost 15 pounds as a result of uh, the illness that he's had over the last couple of weeks, which he told me was like a flu-like symptom type of thing. And, and he's been really under the weather uh, dealing with this illness. So I, I don't think that his play has dropped off because he's upset about his contract or he's upset about playing left tackle or anything like that. I think his play dropped off here in the last month or so because he has uh, been very ill. And I think that that's, uh, you know, off the injury report now. Uh, yesterday he spoke to us for the first time in a while. Um, so hopefully that means that he's feeling better and feeling more like himself. Okay. Well, that's a good stuff. Okay. Question, Evan. In free agency, would you go look for a, 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 a tackle and then try to get a good one, a left tackle or a right tackle? Then in the draft, shoot for firepower. That is, if Bill would do that, but I know he won't do that. <laughs> so I'm just asking. <laughs> uh, so I, yeah, no, actually, I, I believe it or not, you know, usually the tackle free agency class is a little bit spotty because if you have a good tackle, especially with the way that tackle depth is around this league right you now, you keep him. You, you you don't let him walk, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but at the same time. Uh, when you look at the tackle class for next year in free agency, now we'll see uh, how many of these guys actually hit free agency. Uh, but there are some good guys at the top of the list that might hit free agency. And I think the number one name that stands out to me, I mean, there's there's a lot of guys. Uh, Jack Conklin uh, is a free agent. Um, but the one that I, I want to point at is Mike McGlinchey, uh, who obviously was, a I believe, the 10th overall pick in his draft. Um, you know, plays right tackle, uh, which is the spot that I think that they're going to look at and say is the most obvious need that they have on the team because they do have Trent under contract next year to play the left side. And I look at McGlinchey as a perfect fit in a power downhill run scheme that they run uh, typically. And you also look at the fact that he was a high first-round pick, and we know how much Bill loves to get those guys, like the guys that he didn't have a chance to get in the draft because they went 10-15 picks before the Patriots were on the clock. McGlinchey, to me, uh, out in San Fran, is somebody that I don't know if he is going to get paid, right? I mean, they have a lot of other guys to pay. Mm-hmm. So I don't think a, fr- a franchise tag is going to happen there or anything like that. Uh, so I would look at it and say maybe he's somebody that they could actually get their hands on in free agency and as a plug-and-play right tackle, you know, someone that you give a little bit of money to and say, don't worry about it. You know, he's going to be fine there, and we're going to keep him there for a while. So. I would actually really like that move, and uh, you know I think they'll have the money to not only get a tackle uh, of like McGlinchey's caliber, uh, but also probably keep their eye on the wide receiver market as well because they do have some free uh, uh, cap space. And really, the only big price free agent that they're going to have is Jonathan Jones. 
So I think that they'll be able to make some moves there, and, and Jacoby also, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think they're going to be able to make some moves in free agency, um, not as much as they did a couple years ago, but but maybe a, a smaller version of that. And, and I could definitely see them uh, identifying tackle as one of those positions, and McGlinchey maybe as one of those players. And I kind of go back to the Miami Dolphins, you know, signing Teron Armstead yeah. last year, right, and, and giving him the bag. And, and that really worked out for the Dolphins. So it's happening a little bit more now that some of these teams that are getting cap crunch because they're paying quarterbacks and receivers and skill players and stuff like that, uh, they are a little bit tighter up against the cap and they can't afford the tackle. Make you happy now, Eldred? A little bit. One more question, Evan. Uh, yes, this sir. came up earlier during the defense. Okay. Against quarterbacks and you know, top receivers that can get open, you know, like Kirk, uh, where Kirk Cousin carved us up, how do you think the defense will stand against the next four opponents? Who got weapons and get open? And by the way, don't come through. Let me let me add here that the Raiders are already talking this week that maybe Darren Waller and Hunter Renfro will both be back. Yeah, I, I definitely think so. With those two guys, I, I'll just say off the top that I, I think that if Renfro and Waller were to be back, I, you're probably looking at a, a managed workload because they both haven't played football in quite in a while. Time. Yeah. So I, I think that you would see them in like a third down red zone type of role, which is still important. Like, don't get me wrong. Those are obviously very important situations in the game. And there's a reason why we look at third down and red zone stats and isolate that from the rest of the game so often. So it's a big spot in the game, but I, I don't know if they're going to be playing, you know, 65, 70 snaps on Sunday either. So I would. I, you'll have a, I, I would. Think, hey, about I, Adam? I, I, I'll put it I in there. It's the team. Hear about Adam? I hear you, but they—they, they, I don't think Waller's played in two months. You know, I mean, it, this is just a—it's just the way it kind of works with most teams, right? Where they're not going to just throw guys that haven't played football at this level for for six, eight weeks at a time, and and just say, hey, you know, go play 100% of the snaps on Sunday. You know, it's just not really um, something that's realistic uh, for a lot of these guys. Now, now in terms I'm, of, I'm not saying 100%. Question, I'm talking about like 60 or 70%. I would. If they play that many, get my snaps, I'd be surprised. I, I I hear you. I I understand. I mean, they're great players, but I I just don't anticipate them having the endurance and having the the uh you know uh being able to play that much, right? I I just okay. that's just different. It, playing in an NFL game versus practicing or versus working out on the treadmill is not the same, right? You right. know, and having the stamina to go out there and play like that, I I'm not sure they would have that right away. But uh you know, I I think that there are generally uh, genuinely concerned about the back end and the Patriots being able to hold up against some of these better passing attacks down the stretch. But I know John is really big on this, and I, I would <laughs> agree with him here, is that the pass rush is going to have to be the one that carries the heavy burden, right? Matthew Judon, yeah, the AFC Defensive Player of the Week, and Josh Uche. Dietrich Wise has had a nice season. Christian Barmore, uh, I think, will be back yep. uh, by Sunday, if not next week. Those guys need to get after the quarterback. They're not going to be a defense like they were a few years ago where they had Gilmore and J.C. and Jason McCourty and all these corners, and they were able to just hold up in the back end. Right? They're going to have to get after the quarterback over the next month, and they're going to have to really pressure these guys into mistakes and into incompletions if they're going to want to hold up because they're not going to hold up just playing consistent coverage every single down against these number one receivers and against these great quarterbacks. So uh, it's going to be a challenge, uh, but I do think that they have the pass rush if they let those guys go get the quarterback that can do that. And I I look at the matchup 
for example, with Josh Allen, you know, at the end of the season, I wouldn't say Burrow and Carr and uh, and Tua really fall in the mobile category necessarily. necessarily. So I think you are going to have some stationary pocket passers that they're going to be able to just pin their ears back and try to get after, especially Carr on Sunday. But I would even mention Burrow and Tua in that conversation as well. So that's all. Burrow can move, though. Well, he's younger. He's he's definitely younger, Eldred. But I I wouldn't – like Evan said, I don't think I'd classify him as – you know, a Jalen Hurts type, let's say. No, he's not a mobile quarterback. He's, he's not a stationary quarterback, uh, but he's not a mobile quarterback. And, and I really think that, you know, that's the biggest thing to me is when this Patriots defense this season, just talking about them in this year, when they allow that pass rush to not get too caught up in, you know, containment and spying and keeping the quarterback in the pocket. And I think they get too caught up in that sometimes. And, and you don't. Uh, they get away from pressuring, right? And they get away from uh, really disrupting the QB because they're so cognizant of, oh, we got to keep them in the pocket. We got to keep them in the pocket. You know, I think sometimes you just got to pin your ears back. And, and I'd like to see them do that over the last I agree month too. because this, this pass rush can really get after the QB. I mean, Uche uh, is a really talented rusher. We're seeing it come to fruition production wise now, and we know what they have with Judon. Uh, so I, I think that they can really get after the quarterback. So to me, to me then, the one real sign of playoff life for this team, which a week ago, you know, you remember a week ago, Evan, how depressed I sounded, right? And I'm sure, you know, that, yeah, yeah it, was, it, was, it, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't my best moment. But I will tell you that the sign of playoff life for me is exactly that. This Patriots team has a pass rush that should be feared by anybody and everybody that's left on the schedule. If you give me the same Josh Uche and, and, and same um, um, uh, uh, Matt Judon that we've seen over the course of the last seven to ten weeks. Yeah, and, and you look at the yeah. interior as well. Uh, Daniel Inquale had four pressures and a sack in, in that game against the Cardinals and because they're just – Chipping and sliding and doing different things to get at, you know, Judon and Uche block, mm-hmm. and it's leaving the interior one on one. Now you talk about bringing back Christian Barmore, and now maybe Christian Barmore is in that equality spot, and that might be an upgrade. So when you really look at the potential of this defensive front, especially with Barmore coming back, I mean, you put out there a four man or five man pass rush with Uche and Judon as your end and Barmore in the middle, and Wise maybe in the middle too, and Mac Wilson kind of in that spy hybrid role. That That's a lot of firepower up front that I think can really harass these quarterbacks. And as good as some of these passing attacks they are going to play down the stretch are, I think their weaknesses on a lot of these rosters that they're going up against is the offensive line. You know, the Bengals have done a lot of good things on the offensive line to shore it up a little bit, you know, signing Ted Karras and things like that. But you look at these lines still, and they're middle of the pack in terms of pass protection grades and stuff like that. And we know that Miami still has some problems on the line, too. So Buffalo's line is maybe a little bit of a different story just because of Allen. But I think in general, the next three opponents have offensive lines that the Patriots should have an advantage in the trenches. They, they should have an advantage against this Raiders line on Sunday. So we'll see what happens. They will see if they're able to get after it because – that should be the strength of this team in general. The offense, defense, special teams, the best thing about this team right now should be the pass rush. How's that, Eldred? One more question. I'm, I'm going to let you go. One more All question. Right. I'm going to let you go. Go. Uh, I can't get anybody to answer this question. Who's the, who's the defensive back at 6'2", they signed to the practice squad, and can he play? And I wouldn't uh, get, Thank you to yeah, the man, Corey. I, I, but 
I can't think I, of his name, I wouldn't though. get too caught up in practice squad signings at this point in the season. I mean, they signed a long snapper uh, last night that I'm sure we'll see out here in practice in a few minutes uh, because of Joe Cardona's injury. Like, those are the types of things that I would look at with the practice squad guys. They're, if somebody's hurt on, on the injury report at a specialized position like long snapper. But at this point in the season, I, I don't think that they're throwing any practice squad guys in there by choice. Right, like that's going to be because they've lost a bunch of guys because of injury. And I know Jack Jones is on the injury report now. Didn't participate yesterday, uh, but Jalen Mills is back and uh, seems to be in good spirits. And I think he's going to be able to play on Sunday. So it's kind of a one for one there with Jack, uh, you know, being banged up and Jalen Mills coming back. So I, I still think that they're going to roll with the guys they have on the roster. You good, Eldred? Okay. Thank you. Does that work? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. All right, buddy. Ta- work. Talk to you soon. Thanks, Eldred. You got it. So, uh, Evan, um, you know, I, I realize that you're technically in Arizona. I said you were in Vegas earlier. When do you that's guys actually true. get to go to Vegas? Not till Saturday. Not till right. That's when the team leaves. So, tell us about a little bit about the the setup in in Arizona at the University of Arizona, where uh, Jed Fish, a former Patriot assistant, has kind of uh, stacked things up for the team this week. Yeah, it's really nice out here. They have a really nice facility. Uh, really a spectacular weight room from what I've been able to see. And uh, the team's going to practice inside the stadium uh, today, which will be pretty cool. Stadium is uh, is the turf, you know, modern turf field. They practiced yesterday on a grass field uh, next to the stadium, which is, uh, I believe, ASU's practice field in in their season. So a uh, really nice setup here. It's, it's great. It's kind of like, you know, it's a little – when you're on a college campus, you know how it is, John. You know everything's yeah. right on top of each other, right? You know mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. they got the weight rooms right next to the to the stadium field, and the practice field is a short walk right across the street. So it makes for a, a very easy, uh, you know, community here at, at Arizona, uh, you know, stadium here and and out and on the practice field. So it's been very nice, and they also have a, a pretty nice uh, inside like bubble, you know, like the Patriots have. At, uh, at, at uh, you know, in Foxborough. Mm-hmm. And so they were in there for a little bit yesterday, too, I believe. So it's a, it's a pretty nice setup out here. So, so how much of a difference do you think the win in Arizona set up this week's preparation? I mean, I think it would have been a completely different mental aspect had they lost that game. But they won the game, and, and you know, and clearly – the team didn't play well on offense, but it played well enough. How much did Arizona really affect the preparation you feel for, for the Raiders this week? Yeah, honestly, I think it affected it a lot because I think that this team, all it takes sometimes is one win to get the, the momentum rolling in the right direction again. And although the Cardinals are not by record a great team, and of course they lost Tyler Murray three plays into the game, but I think that what the Patriots uh, – players and, and what you've kind of noticed just being around them this week here is, is that they have belief right like they have belief that okay there's a there's a path here right there's a path for us to make the playoffs and and maybe if we get you know we win three out of the last four or you know three out of the last five let's call it if you want to include the cardinals game that we go into the playoffs this year with the momentum and, and not go into the playoffs last year uh like last year where they stumbled in right and, and they weren't uh, playing good football, and then they get blown out on wild card weekend. So, look, I, I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves, mm-hmm. but you look at the standings and you look at, okay, you know, the Bengals, uh, they have a tough game this week against Tampa Bay. Obviously, Miami has to play Buffalo. Uh, the Patriots are playing the Raiders, which are a sub-500 team in a winnable game in Vegas. And you could go, realistically, 
into next week against the Bengals and the week after that against Miami was a head-to-head opportunity to jump both teams in the wild card standing. I mean, I don't think that that's going to happen necessarily. And I get it. You know, I came off of that game on Monday night being like, okay, they, they won the game. They're setting themselves up for the past to exist. But my eyes are telling me that this team is still missing something, right? And it's mostly on offense, obviously. Uh, but they just don't feel like a team right now that can make noise in the playoffs. But that could change really quickly here if they string a couple wins together. So that's that's we'll my whole happen. point today. That, by the way, Evan, is my entire point today. And it's why I, I, I kind of feel like I've done almost a 180 over you know what you and I talked about a week ago here on the show. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, the, for some reason or another, even though it wasn't an aesthetically pleasing outcome Monday night, they still won, but the way that they won just got me thinking, you know what, so what if they can only score 20 points against a really crappy you know, uh, offense, or I should say defense for Arizona? The fact is, is that they're doing what they need to do to win games, which to me is the one thing that you can take from the dynastic era of 20 years, because that's that was the watermark. That was the uh, that was how Patriots teams won for so long. This team is starting to pick up a little of that characteristic, and I'm not trying to compare them to what's been here over you know 20 years and six Super Bowl titles. I'm not doing that. But there is a trait there. There's something that's familiar that I think most Patriots fans are probably not recognizing, but you might actually be able to hang your hat on here. Yeah, I think offensively that's where I came away with, and I wrote about it in uh, my film review this week earlier this week. Was right. That Okay, this is not this is not the 07 Patriots, right? They're not going to hang 35 points a game playing like this on off. But you look at some of the things that they did on Monday night in Arizona, and they were able to find some things that I thought were dangerous to the defense, right? And the main things that I highlighted were the Marcus Jones package and the motion plays and the RPOs and some of the different misdirection stuff that they did with Marcus Jones on the field. But I, I look at some of these things that they were doing, and I said, look, this is – this is kind of hard to defend. Like, it, it, it is, you know. You have a guy in Marcus Jones who can absolutely house the, uh, the football from anywhere on the field, mm-hmm. right? He's really one of those guys, as we saw against Buffalo, as we saw against the Jets on the punt return, that he can take an 80-yard screen pass to the house if, you get him, if he gets loose. Right. Like, that's just the type of player that he is, and that's dangerous to a defense. I think... Pierre Strong's speed, dangerous to a defense. Tyquan Thornton's speed, dangerous to a defense. So if they can find a way, and I think what happened was with this offense when they were in their rut, is that they're trying to push the football down the field, and they just don't have the blocking up front to push the ball down the field. And I really felt like in this game, they were able to get some horizontal plays where they're kind of stretching the defense at the line of scrimmage, and that's allowing them to then go ahead and get the football out of the quarterback's hands and make some plays with the ball and, and uh, the skill players hand. So yeah. that's the way I look at it with the offense is that this is an offense that they can execute more consistently, right? This is not an offense where it's going to be first and 10, becomes second and 10, becomes third and 15, becomes punt, right? Like that's not going to necessarily happen as often because they're able to get four or five yards on first down on, on some of these plays and maybe make some big plays every once in a while. So, I'm optimistic about what they were able to do. I'm not, again, I'm not saying that they're going to score 38 games doing this, but can they score 24 games and then maybe the defense sets them up on a short field every once in a while or they get a good, uh, you know, some field position on special teams and then the next thing you know, they're at 27 like they were against Arizona. So I'm not trying to blow smoke uh, up the team right now, but I, I just 
feel like that was the first time in a while offensively. And I would throw Minnesota into this as well because I think a lot of the plays they made in that Minnesota game were bad coverage, to be honest with you. And this was the first time in a while where I said, I see what they're doing, right? Like, I see a plan here. I see an actual, uh, you know, a, a complementary offense where they're calling plays and then they're calling plays off the plays and they're building up to something here, which was good to see. Right. I kind of agree with you. I, I think for the first time in a long time, several uh, observers of this team might have said, you know what, I think I'm starting to get this thing. So uh, I, that's kind of where I'm approaching it this week anyway. I mean, look, ultimately, it, it may be, you know, 9-8, and 8-9, 10-7 if you're lucky, and, and maybe you don't get into the postseason. But I can kind of understand now because I think we know that they, 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 they really aren't terribly uh, forthcoming in, in, in giving us their thought process on anything, which is something that we're used to over a number of years. But I think we can kind of see it now. And maybe, just maybe, they're learning. Maybe yeah. maybe Matt's learning. Maybe Joe's learning. I think clearly we're seeing a little fire that we maybe didn't see earlier this year, even from Mac. You know, and I think that's that's part of the process here. Yeah, I definitely think that you see. And I look at I go back to that 2018 season a lot, where Bill, you know, and towards the end of the year, they kind of talked about at the Super Bowl that year how they reinvented themselves into a 21-personnel team, right? James Devlin in the backfield, power run game, work everything else off of that base or off of that foundation. And uh, for this team, I, I think a lot of the different things they're doing uh, at the line of scrimmage, you know, the, the motion plays, the screens, the RPOs, you know, that type of stuff, that might be the identity of this offense down the stretch. And that was the big thing that I was always harping with them offensively is what is their identity? Like, what is it that they can hang their hat on? What is it that they say, we, this is what we do well? Yeah. And they just never, they haven't been able to find that. So maybe this is what they're able to find uh, down the stretch. And I love seeing the young guys out there that can make plays with the football in their hands. And, you know, you see Pierre Strong break down the sideline on the 40 right. yarder. Right. Like, that's, that's right. Like, that's NFL speed pulling away from a defense. Right. You know, they haven't really had that in a while. So, you know, I looked up at one point on Monday night, and they have Tyquan Thornton, Aguilar, Strong, Marcus Jones, and Johnny Smith on the field. That's about as athletic as the Patriots have been in five years, right? I mean, you mm-hmm. talk about just across the board, you know, four three seven, uh, four two eight with Tyquan. You know, uh, Nelson was low four four. It's like these are guys that can actually run on an NFL field and be fast and be playmakers. And, and I think that that's a good thing for the Patriots. So. I'm hoping that this is what the offense is going to do moving forward, and they're just going to really try to maximize this. And It's similar to what the Dolphins did with Tua in the first couple years in Miami, and I know it wasn't always super successful, but when you have a bad offensive line or a shaky offensive line, uh, you have a quarterback who's not mobile, and so basically you you need the quarterback to be able to thrive in structure. He's not going to be a playground QB. And you're not going to have an offensive line that's going to hold up and really allow you to run downfield concepts. What do you do? You run a bunch of screens, you run misdirection, you run throws at the line of scrimmage, and that's what they're doing. So I definitely see the reasoning behind it. Hey, Ev, safe travels to Vegas, my man. Thanks for checking in with us. And uh, I guess we'll, we'll see you in studio next week. Absolutely. All right. Safe travels, buddy. Thanks for checking in. That's Evan Lazar, at EZ Lazar, of course, uh, part of the playbook each and every week here. So we're going to go from Evan Lazar to uh, old friend Andy Hart. Hey, Andy, thanks for hanging in there, man. Appreciate you. My, pl- 
My pleasure. How are you, John? Excellent. Excellent. Doing well. So, um, I, you know, one of the things that we're talking about today is, is you know, uh, I had a little bit of a, I don't know if I would call it an epiphany. Maybe, maybe it is a little bit because last week I was just, I was as down as maybe I can ever remember being down on this team and this franchise. And of course, we haven't had many chances to be down on this team over 20 years. And you were here for a lot of that stuff. Uh, so, but in a week's time, I, I've sort of done an about face. And, and I'll tell you why. I, I'm looking at, at what makes this team, in my estimation, and, and your estimation, and anyone's estimation today, what makes this team now playoff worthy? And one of the things that I identified, and I want to see if you you know agree or whatever you identify elsewhere, uh, is we saw when we when we saw Pierre Strong and Kevin Harris come in for Ramondre Stevenson, the first reaction is, oh, God, they're in trouble, right? Mm-hmm. And then those guys come in, and, and we saw, wow. Speed, agility, aggressiveness. Uh, you know, we saw a lot of stuff in these guys that we really hadn't seen yet this year, maybe because they hadn't had much of a chance because Ramondre has had that kind of year. But I just all of a sudden said, wow, they've got incredible depth in the backfield. I just don't know that they know how to use it, which I think is a legitimate gripe to make right now. But maybe they're finally starting to figure some things out. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, I think they were obviously both. Harris and, and certainly Pierre Strong, um, bright spots, flashes, and for the future, you know, hopefulness. You, you look at Damian Harris as a free agent, you say generally the Patriot way is to let that veteran running back walk and make some money somewhere, and who's next in line, what's the pipeline look like, and I think you saw, you know, I'd, after that game, it's not hard to envision a, a three-man backfield next year of Kevin Harris as a true big side power back you know, Ramondre Stevenson as the sort of do-it-all, and then Pierre Strong as this lightning, explosive, big play kind of guy, that, that looks like it could be a pretty uh, formidable backfield moving forward. So, yeah, I, you know, it's funny. I, um, I, di- I did a podcast this morning, and, you know, talking about the offense and, you know, does it need a total teardown, overhaul? I actually think we get caught up in some of the ugliness and inefficiencies and red zone struggles, but you know, it's not a hard sell to, for me that if you got a tackle, a singular tackle to solidify, let's just say the left tackle spot, mm-hmm. and then yeah. you're going to have to piece together the other side. Maybe that's Trent Brown. Just going back over, I just when you have questions at both tackles, that's a problem. That that that's how offenses fall apart. So if you can get one solid tackle and then one veteran accountable playmaker. And I don't know who that is. You know, a higher end type guy, whether it's a slot jitterbug, whether it's, you know, a playmaking tight end. Like, I almost don't really care what the details of it is. I feel like the rest of it falls into place. Like, Hunter Henry's a good player. You can talk yourself into Kendrick Bourne, Devontae Parker, Tyquan Thornton developing, you know, into these complementary weapons. And then I think you can talk yourself into if you have a tackle and you solidify the line because the interior line should be pretty good next year with Cole Strange in year two after an offseason in the program, I think you can get back to, okay, Mac now has an offense that he can run. He has weapons to go to. He can utilize his, you know, I think Dan Orlovsky likes to call it his superpower of reading the defense and using his football IQ. So, yeah, I'm not, you know, other than the coaching, however you feel about the coaching and the scheme and Matt Patricia, the personnel, I think maybe there's a, a road to an offseason of couple pieces really could change the outlook of the, you know, I keep going back to the Dolphins. Mm-hmm. 
they add uh, Teron Armstead at left tackle, and they had Tyree Kill, and it changes everything. And I'm not saying you're going to be able to get two all-pro caliber players of that quality, but if you use that roadmap and then the scheme comes together, maybe you're not quite as far away. And I'll tell you the other thing that I, I liked, John, the other night was the, the pass rush. Yeah. You know, this, yeah. this explosion of, of Uche, in addition to Judon, who looks like he's hopefully not going to fade down the stretch this year. Yeah, they've handled him you, better. They really have. They've handled his they, time better. Absolutely. And and with an eye on, you know, this time of year, where you are. You're in the seventh seed. You have your your season ahead of you. If you can find a way to win the game you're supposed to in Vegas and then at least get one upset in the final three, you're giving yourself a puncher's chance. And I think that pass rush, I mean, we've seen with Tom Brady over the years, a pass rush is the best way to give yourself an underdog puncher's chance yep. against a, a good quarterback. So 100%. Joe Burrow, Tua, Josh Allen, if, if you can get a night where Uche and Judon, and now you get Barmore back on the practice field, maybe he gets back out there, and Equale is rotating through, and Wise, I'm starting to feel a little bullish on that pass rush being an impact that could maybe steal a game for you. Yeah, that's that's exactly how I looked at it today when I'm trying to, you know, just sort of like, all right, wh- why do I feel better about this team? And, and that's what I pinpoint. I said, this team, this Patriots team right now, has a playoff caliber pass rush. And, mm-hmm. you know, and we've been bullish, I think, on the pass rush for the most part all year long. It's mostly been bullish on, on Judon. But I said, you know what? Their pass rush has really helped the younger secondary without a real stopper back there develop a little bit more and give them a chance to defend back there. Now, it hadn't been perfect, but there's no secondary in in, in pro football that's perfect. I think we realize that. I think what we also know is that the Patriots have a pretty doggone solid core of safeties back there. So when they go nickel, they go dime. When we see them you know, put those extra guys out there, they got guys that can come up and thump, and they got guys that can actually be in coverage, especially for tight ends and backs coming out of the backfield. The Patriots' defense is quicker. It's not where it needs to be, but it is improved. And I just, you know, boy, if if the offense finally figures out a way to actually, you know, call some plays that, you know, know, play to the strengths of this offense without so much predictability, then I think you you might have something here. Yeah, and and we haven't seen the – as good as the defense has been, and yes, I know – a lot of it came against backup quarterbacks or young quarterbacks. But, you know, that's certainly a caveat part of it. But we also haven't seen the defense in sort of its totality. Yeah. You know, Jalen Mills is out. Christian Barmore is out. It's like Josh Uche, a little bit of a slow start. Dietrich Wise had a good start. Has he tailed off? It's like we haven't really put together the whole group of, say, 14, 15 rotational guys mm-hmm. all playing at a high level at the same time. And if they can do that, over the next month, again, I'm not saying they're a Super Bowl contender, but I don't rule out them having a really good day in a certain matchup against, and maybe you get a little help. Maybe it's against two in the Dolphins, and it's a little bit of a windy day at Gillette, and it's a little colder, and the South Florida team doesn't look overly comfortable and overly fast. You know, I think you can talk yourself into that. The one thing, you know, and I was listening to you and Evan when I was waiting to come on, I'm not quite as um, optimistic, I don't think, as Evan is on the offense and where it's going and, and Patricia and the play calling. I actually thought there were too many, for my liking, in Arizona of those 
Mac under pressure, Mac running around like a chicken with his head cut off, mm-hmm. Mac just happy to get the ball out of bounds and back to the line of scrimmage to avoid a, a sack or a penalty. And I don't know, I don't know that I have the faith that the offense is going to come together um, as much as the defense in the next two, three, four weeks to, sure. to be in position to, to win games. That's fair. I, I you know, I, I think that's fair. Um, you know, I would tell you that you know, hey, w- whenever he runs around, I think it's. Uh, it's a little, you know, too much for my liking, but I would tell you that at least he's able to sort of release the football and get it out of bounds rather than make a dumb play, which I think is a is a step in the right direction. Yep. Earlier in the year, he was just trying to make a play, and that's when he was getting himself into trouble. Now it's just kind of like, all right, let's let's live to play for the next snap without taking a sack and getting into a second and twenty type situation. So even that is a step in the right direction. It is. It is. He is taking care of the football over the last month plus, and I mean his last two interceptions. Both were, he was hit when he threw it. There was nothing he could do about it. You know, even Coach Belichick defended him. And then other than that, he went, what, 160 passes without a pick in between those two. So, yeah, I mean, I can still remember when Josh McDaniels a few years ago was asked what Tom Brady does best, and he said, doesn't turn the ball over and doesn't take sacks. If you can avoid those two things, you give yourself a chance to hang around a lot of football games and maybe – DeAndre Hopkins is loose with a football. Sure. And he puts it on the ground, and you return it, and it's a touchdown, and that sways the game. Like, you know, I know we beat it into the ground, but the Bel- Belichick, one of the greatest things he's ever said is, you know, before you can win, you have to not lose. Let the other team lose. Let them make the mistake that loses the game. And I do think that is one of the, the um, comforting aspects of the growth over the second half of the season with Mac is just not – Taking the sacks quite as much, not throwing the ball up for grabs quite as much, that that allows you to live to fight another play. Right, and and here's the other thing I think that uh, it's key. Over the last seven eight weeks, the Patriots have gone from a team that has turned it over more to a team that has actually turned it over less. They're actually plus three, I think, in the turnover ratio, which yep. has them in the top ten in the NFL now. Which is, hey, listen, as bad as they were making mistakes earlier this year, and they're still not perfect. Let's face it, they had eight penalties, eighty yards again uh, against the Cardinals on Monday night. Th- that isn't going to help anybody. It's still largely undisciplined, especially. Up front but if you're not turning it over that's when your puncher's chance can pay off absolutely because there's some teams that have playmakers you can overcome turnovers you know josh allen and the bills can you overcome turnovers sure patrick mahal like some of these teams are just built they can overcome it if you're the patriots where you already know you have issues offensively you know you have issues scoring touchdowns in the red zone if you're giving the ball away giving short fields putting your defense which is the strength of your team in a bad position it's just a terrible, terrible way to try to play a football game. And if, if they avoid that, now, you know, who knows? They've still got four tough games down the stretch here um, to, to prove they can't avoid that in, in tight games or in competitive games. But if they avoid that, it does give you just that, that little bit more of an opportunity to, sure. to height, you know, to, to, to fight into the third quarter, into the fourth quarter, and then, you know, one place weighs the game. Maybe you get a chance. Sure. What are your thoughts then on uh, on on the Raiders this week? I mean, you know, this they, there's some familiarity for obvious reasons with Josh McDaniels and the like, and these two teams went at each other in the preseason. Although that's a different time of year, but you know, you know, if the Raiders are actually able to come back with a couple of receivers who were led to believe may be available to play. Uh, that were injured, Waller coming to mind, I think, is one of them. Uh, I'm wondering, though, how effective they can be, number one. And number two, how desperate are the Raiders and, 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 and uh, Josh McDaniels as well? How, how, what kind of a position are they in? And 
because it doesn't look like they're going to be a playoff team. I guess they could be numerically, but it doesn't look like that. And I'm just wondering, um, you know, if there's any sort of momentum on their side to to help sort of, uh, you know, kind of hold the Patriots off. Yeah, I think they are looking for momentum. I think they're looking to maybe save sort of the back end of their season. It's been such a disappointment, got off to such a bad start, and then they've had some of these just give the game away kind of losses. I mean, for the fact that Josh McDaniels, and I like Josh, I'm a fan of Josh McDaniels, but he lost to Jeff Saturday, who was fresh off the high school coaching field, and uh, Baker Mayfield, who was fresh off a red-eye flight to join the team. Mm -hmm. So, you know, those are two bad losses for the Raiders right there. If you don't have those two losses, they're thinking playoffs. They are a playoff contender. Um, and, And their offense has not been what it should be you, you mentioned the injuries Renfro and Waller not yeah. being out there is, is a part of it um, Josh's play calling has drawn a lot of criticism out there they haven't been good in the red zone I think a lot of people had probably and, and I would include myself in this group too high in expectation for that offense you know you see Devontae Adams joining Jacobs and Waller and Renfro and Josh is the expert and Carr's good and you're thinking wow this is going to be lights out offense and it hasn't been it you know it's taken time um, but they're still dangerous. You know, even the, the injuries are a huge deal. Jacobs is, is dinged up. What's his status? And then I'm always a little dubious of the guys coming right back to the field, and we're just going to expect Waller and Renfro to be, you know, who they are when they're at their best. And sometimes when you're trying to piece those guys in and fit those guys in and get those guys touches, it almost it almost sets the offense back a little bit because it's, it's a, it's a new weight kind of on, on Carr's shoulders to distribute the ball. Sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, the easiest way to play quarterback is, well, I have Jacobs to hand it to and I have Adams to throw it to. It's a pretty simple plan. Um, now you're adding opportunity, you're adding options, but as he tries to work those back, guys back up to speed and into the mix, that's the challenge for the Patriots defense. Certainly gives the Patriots defense other guys uh, to think about. But I think there's a lot of pressure on Josh here to, you know, not only the Belichick, you know, mentor thing, um, but they're not happy in Las Vegas. They, right. This is, you know, a little bit like when Matty P went to Detroit and took over Jim Caldwell's team that had a winning record, and all of a sudden we stink. And it's like this was a playoff game in Vegas, playoff team in Vegas, and now you're not a playoff team, yet we added a fancy offensive coach and a fancy wide receiver. I think they have some things to prove over the last month here, and Certainly getting a win over the Patriots would help in that direction. Yeah, adds to the intrigue of Sunday for sure. Hey, Andy, thanks for the time as always, brother. Really appreciate it. My pleasure, John. Anytime. Call me anytime. You got it. Andy Hart, WEEI, joining us here, WEEI.com, where you find Andy at Jumbo Hart on Twitter, as many of you undoubtedly already know. I just wanted to get his thoughts because, you know, Andy, since he left the cozy confines of Gillette Stadium, okay, since he's, you know, gone on and tried to join mainstream media here. I don't know if you've noticed or not, but he actually shakes a pom-pom every now and then. Did you notice that? I think, now I'll have to listen. I, I, think, I actually think, and I don't, I don't really mean this critically, but I, I think he's, he kind of fall, he's fallen in line with a lot of the other mainstream media in Boston and New England, where it becomes you know, sort of traditional to root, root, root for the home team. I think we criticize our own employer here as much as anybody in the league. We do. And, and, and I've always said, credit to the Crafts. 
you know, credit to the Patriots as an organization for allowing us to do our jobs because it's the only way that we get any credibility here. I mean, otherwise we're seen as just homers. Oh, it's homer radio. What are you going to do? They're always going to talk about the Patriots in a positive sense. The Patriots are never going to suck because they, they work for the team. But we've never operated like that here. I've never operated like that. I wouldn't have taken the job 22 years ago if I'd known that it was going to be like that. One of the things that Fred Kirsch and I talked about years ago was is that you have to be who you are in order to gain credibility and get people to listen to you. And I think we've largely done that. Now, do we share? Do we wave pom-poms sometimes? Sure, because we all do. I mean, you know, when you're you know, going to six Super Bowls and, or nine Super Bowls, ten Super Bowls now, and, and you're – or le- how many have we played now? Eleven? What are we? Six and five, right? Yeah. One, two, three, four. Yeah, ten. Okay. So, whatever. You're going to have a chance to share your, wave your share of pom-poms because it's always better to win when you than lose. But, but the point about Andy is, is that I actually think he was more critical of the team when he was in-house. And I don't mean that that he's doing a bad job at EEI. He's not. I enjoy reading, and I actually you know listen to you know the podcast every now and then uh, whenever I get the chance to do that just to kind of see because I, I've always respected Andy's opinion having worked on the inside here. And, of course, we, we know that there are several guys that have gone on to, you know, uh, really solid careers. You know, Field Yates comes to mind. Mike Reese comes to mind. You know, they started here in this building. Those guys started here working for Patriots Football Weekly and Patriots.com when we launched the website back in the late 90s and, oh, everything. And, and Andy's joined the mainstream, too. But I think sometimes mainstream media has a chance to kind of just like, you know, they're either one way or the other. They're either really rah, 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 or they're really, oh, God, they suck. There's no middle ground. There's just no middle ground. I'm kind of searching for the middle ground. Sometimes we go to the other extreme in order to to arrive at the middle ground. So, you know, but that's why I like I, that's why I love getting the different opinions each week here on on the show for you guys because, you know, some guys we're going to agree with, some guys we're going to disagree with, but that's okay because we need to have a different perspective. That's what we do. That's how we're able to form our own opinions by providing a perspective to you over what's going on right now. All right, do we want to get in a quick break? Yeah, we get a short one. All right, we'll come back and Tony Cordasco uh, who is a radio talk show host in Las Vegas. We're going to get the latest on the Raiders from Tony coming up right here in the playbook. Verizon, the network America relies on, and the official 5G network of the New England Patriots. When someone accidentally threw away the school play costumes, oh no! replacements were shipped with FedEx. And with picture-proof of delivery, everyone could focus on the perfect opening night. FedEx, where now meets next. For residential delivery only. Patriot Place is the region's number one shopping, dining, and entertainment destination. Shop your favorites, including Vineyard Vines, Express, Olympia Sports, Petco, and more. Enjoy dining at one of our 19 restaurants, including Six String Grill and Stage, Scorpion Bar, and Bar Louie. And don't forget about the entertainment. Explore your inner artist at Muse Paint Bar, watch a movie at Showcase Cinema Deluxe, or grab a controller and start gaming at Helix Esports. For a complete directory listing, please visit patriot-place.com. How did Verizon build the fastest 5G in the world? We started by building it right with 5G Ultra Wideband. Then we gave it massive capacity and near zero lag. And it's not just fast, it's 25 times faster than today's 4G networks. This is 5G built right from the network more people rely on, only on Verizon. 
5G Ultra Wideband available only in parts of select cities. Global claim based on open signal independent analysis. 25 times analysis by Ookla's speed test intelligence data Q2 2020. Come on, guys, it's game time! Yeah, Patriots! Did you earn some bragging rights this week? Did you lose? You shut your mouth! Make a move that you regret? I gave Peter Ronnie Brown, okay. and he gave me Lexico Burris. The guy is in jail for two years, you moron! Did you go home crying and screaming? Every year I set this league up! Every year, and I never win! Time now for the Patriots Playbook Fantasy League Update. All right, this is the greatest Sunday tradition ever. We're getting right down to the nitty-gritty on this thing, too, aren't we? Here, Hour number two of the playbook, Tony Cordasco from uh, 1140 AM, The Bet in Las Vegas. God, I love that. That's great, isn't it? <laughs> that's, the sta- that's, the, that's the station he works for. Also does a, a podcast uh, in, in Vegas as well. Uh, and uh, we're going to talk to him about the Raiders coming up in a moment. And, of course, Russell Baxter will hit week 15 around the NFL coming up shortly as well. But this is it, right? Last regular – everybody off this week? Is everybody everybody's got the week off this week, right? And then week, you start week the playoffs. Week is just bye week for everybody. Okay, all right. So week fifteen is the bye week, and then week sixteen starts the playoffs, right? For the playbook fantasy league, and then top four teams make it. The second four teams are in a consolation round, and the third four teams are just SOL, right? Okay, all right. So here's Sorry, the Todd. yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Todd. All right, so here we go. Uh, these are the four teams. That will be in the playoffs after the bye week this week. First place, Team Tiggy. Woohoo! Um, they will match up with the fourth place team, Team Panda, in the first week of the playoffs next week. Number two, Greeks, Greek Pats Nation will take on the third seed, the Kamish. Well, damn. You, you should I'm be win there. this damn league. You should be there, okay? You should be there, right? Uh, team five, six, seven, and eight in the consolation playoffs. Um, fifth place team is the Iowa Cornstalkers. Our friend Nancy in Iowa, she finished fifth. She'll have uh, the eighth place team, which is Matt Patricia's offense. <laughs> this team has changed its name like three times this year, right? Something like that. Uh, and then the number six team is Belichick's Video Store <laughs> against the seventh place team, the Nip Tuck Rule. So you got five through eight there. Ninth, tenth, eleventh, and twelfth. Todd's Taxidermists, Mac Attack, Bella Checked Mate, and ZBMOL. Okay? So that's how the first annual Patriots Playbook Fantasy League standings unfold. Everybody's on a bye week this week, and then the playoffs next week. Tiggy gets Panda. Greek Pats Nation gets the Commish. I got my money on the Commish. Go ahead, argue otherwise. Go ahead, go ahead, make the argument otherwise. I just, I just put all the pressure on you, Matt. I just, you know, put all the pressure on you. Commission is the overwhelming favorite here. Getting Tony on the line. I missed what you said. Uh, it's all right. It's all right. Yeah, I know you got a job to do. I realize that. No, I'm just. We're, we're going to ride with you. We're going to ride with you in the playoff fantasy league. All right, let's get to. Let's see what we can't do about an update on the uh, on the Vegas Raiders. Tony Cordasco uh, is a talk show host in Las Vegas, 11:40 a.m. The Bet. Which, I, again, I love. That's great. I uh, wonder what they talk about. And also does a, uh, uh, a podcast in Vegas, Locked On Vegas uh, podcast, and he joins us here in the playbook. Hey, Tony, how's it going? Nice to visit with you again. Hey, how's it going, John? Great to hear from you. Yeah, awesome. Uh, thanks for a little bit of time. I know that you know, you're know you also into everything, you know, Vegas Knights 
but I know you you, you got to talk about the Raiders a little bit. And and quite honestly, um, I I wonder now that you're what 13, 14 weeks into the tenure of Josh McDaniels as head coach, we kind of knew what you know the Patriots had in Josh McDaniels. Do the Raiders know what they have in Josh McDaniels right now? And does anybody like it? You know, it's uh, the Raider Nation is is pretty tough. Uh, they're tough customers, to say the very least. And it's been an up-and-down ride for Josh McDaniels. Obviously, great play calling when you win, when you lose, of course. You know, they're going to blame it on him and what have you. And, you know, he's had some, uh, you know, some, some bad calls, play calls. He's had some bonehead calls this season, <laughs> uh, which I could go into here in a moment. But uh, he's also, you know, maybe at times too conservative. I mean, this is a team, John. The Raiders are 0-4 when leading by double digits, uh, 13 points or more at halftime of games. Mm -hmm. And that is, like, that's mind-blowing. You know, it's really hard to conceive that, you know, you can't replicate a lot of what you did in the first half, do those things offensively still, and then make some adjustments and what have you. Uh, and and they're just not, not winning games. They're not able to pull them out. Uh, last year in games of eight points or less, I think they were 7-2. and two. Uh, this year, they are three and eight in uh, those games decided by eight points or less. So they're just not pulling out the games, the close games. And uh, yeah, three and eight after that Rams debacle, which was really a mess. Right. Why, why do you think that is, Tony? What is, is there a consistent thread in all of this that it's turned them from you know being able to win close games or, or close games out into a team that's uh, you know coughing it up at the end? Yeah, I, I just think it's a fact, a matter of fact, that they go too conservative on the offensive side. Uh, defensively, I just don't know if they have all the talent and all those pieces there right now. Can't just rely on Max Crosby to come up with the big play uh, each and every game. Uh, you know, like one, one of the things, you know, about Josh McDaniels, and I kind of alluded to this, was, you know, he is the play caller, and he's got uh, Nick Lombardi as as the quasi-offensive coordinator. Mm -hmm. uh, but again, like they just make some bonehead calls. So the Rams game, right? We know that game. Uh, before this 98-yard drive, they had a third down and one to pick up just one yard. L.A., the Rams are out of timeouts. And they typically go with the two-back set. They've got the fullback of Jakob Johnson, who threw that terrific uh, block to spring Josh Jacobs uh, in the Seattle game where he rushed up the middle for 86 yards and walked it off. And, uh, you know, in this formation, they come out on a third down and one. It also would have given Jacobs another 100-yard rushing day. And they put Jacobs in as an offset fullback for some odd reason with Devontae Adams behind him, and everyone's keying on Jacobs. <laughs> like, and then they just tackle him right there at the line of scrimmage. And then uh, the Saints game was another game. You know, it's just like it's mind-blowing, some of these play calls. I just remember they were at their own 45-yard line or thereabouts against the Saints, and um, they went for it on a fourth and one early in the game, and they do this end around with Devontae Adams, yep. and then he just cuts it inside of the A-gap, and everyone just bobbers. <laughs> and it's like, where do they come up with these plays in crucial situations? Is that the sign of a, of a young coach, an inexperienced coach? I keep thinking he probably needs a veteran play caller with him or someone that just kind of guides him through some of these crucial situations. I, I think, too, you know, it, 
to me, it's just that at times, you know, they get into a rhythm, a groove. We still don't know here if Derek Carr is the right uh, quarterback mm-hmm. for him, for his system. Um, you know, and Carr's had up and down season once again. Fans love him when they win, and now they want him traded each and every week. And mm-hmm. uh, he's thrown for 3,100-plus yards this season, uh, but he's had some really, really bad games, and they still sputter in the red zone. They can't cap off drives. They just can't finish. They yeah. can't finish games, and they can't finish off drives. Is this more of a of a change in philosophy that Josh has brought to the table, uh, or is it just them getting used to Josh, Josh getting used to his personnel? Kind of the same struggles that we've seen that Bill Belichick has had with his two new coordinators on offense here. There appears to be at least a, a, a slight mesh that's not backfiring in New England. Can you see such a thing forming in Las Vegas? I mean, like if the ground game is working, then stick to the ground game. You've got Josh Jacobs, sensational season, 1,400 yards. Last I saw, I thought it was about like 36 carries for 10 yards or more. Hard to bring down with that first tackle. Just stick with that, you know. Um, Devontae Adams, him and Carr played together in college. You know, Adams' numbers look great uh, with over 1,200 receiving yards. But he's had some clunkers himself. You know, the one uh, game against uh, that comes to mind, New Orleans, had one reception for three yards, and that's inconceivable. Like, how how could that even happen? And yeah. and then they go to Jacksonville, and I think they had 17 targets in that game. Uh, and, and, and sometimes he goes away from them. I, I don't know what they're doing at, at, at certain times. And uh, right now, you know, uh, I guess he, his job is safe, according to, to Mark Davis, they've had some meetings post game, and uh, there was one I think in it might have been the Kansas City game. I don't recall, but one of my reporter friends had told me he walked outside of this room. They had a meeting right after the game. Mark Davis, uh, the coordinators, I guess McDaniel's, and he said all he heard was a lot of shouting and yelling inside that room. But uh, okay, maybe that's the way that they're going to try to figure things out. But they've got to get it done. They've got a brand new stadium. They've got a huge fan base, and they just have to win here in Las Vegas. And you're not asking for them to go to the Super Bowl. I think the fans are really pleased with them going to the playoffs a season ago. Sure. Do they feel like, though, that if they don't go this season, I realize numerically it's it's going to be hard to do that. Is that too big of a step back? And, and could you see Mark Davis conceivably pulling the plug on Josh after only a year? No. They don't have the money. I think that they've come out and said that. Uh, and, you know, he just told us all to be patient, you know, Mark Davis. And I believe him at his word. Um, and he's an owner there, you know, that's visible. And I have to give credit for that. But, you know, the fans weren't happy when he said, well, Rome wasn't built in a day. Yeah. And then the fans like, kind of went wild over that statement. Uh, he says that he has a lot of faith still in uh, in Josh McDaniels. And they're just, I think, ride this out. And, you know, I was listening to Derek Carr's statement yesterday, and he was just saying, well, hey, last year we had that four-game win streak. Well, look what lies ahead of this Raiders team. Right now they're going to be playing against New England on Sunday, and they go to Pittsburgh on uh, Christmas Eve. And then on New Year's Day they've got San Francisco, and they close it out with the Chiefs. There's no way. There's no way they're going to win four straight. So I think that's a pipe dream right now. Uh, but they do want to try to get this team uh, to see what the future might hold for this team with everyone back and semi-healthy, I guess you could say, offensively, uh, because uh, Hunter Renfro, 
and uh, Darren Waller are back at practice. They've missed a ton of time, and they're hoping that they could get some repetitions in the game on Sunday. I don't, you know, Josh Josh uh, McDaniel said yesterday. He just said, um, you know, they're back in. He goes, we have to evaluate them like every day, see how much they play. I, you have to believe they're going to be on some sort of a pitch count, right? If they do get back in because they've been inactive for so long, right. That certainly makes sense to me, and I was just going to ask you about uh, you know the Renfro and Waller, and and it, it's good that they're going to be back in that regard because I know that would certainly help the Raiders. But you know, last year uh, the Raiders what won four straight to get a playoff spot at the end. I guess it's conceivable they could pretty much do that this year if they won four straight to end the season. How likely do you think that is? Not likely. I don't think it's. I don't think it's very likely. I just think it's a too tough of a schedule. Uh, I just don't think that they could close out games. Again, they have a lot of uh, issues there. Uh, we had Derek Carr crying at the podium after the Colts game uh, and, you know, just saying that not everyone's bought into the system of Josh McDaniels and he can't believe it. And, and it's, a lot of folks thought that he might have been calling out Darren Waller. Mm-hmm. Now, Waller last year had just that terrific season, but then the offseason was really interesting because he was writing it out, trying to get a new contract, had a hold in because he was there at the, facil- at the facility, wasn't a hold out. And he was just hanging out at the facility, working out and what have you. Uh, and then he fired his agency. He has, uh, I think he was with Clutch, and then he went to, uh, um, to Drew Rosenhaus, I think it was. And then, uh, you know, and then I don't think, I don't know if he was happy, whatever. He came back, and I got to tell you, the, uh, the game that they played against the Titans, he was so disengaged in that game. And hmm. like he had three drops, he had a drop in the end zone. Uh, just a lot was so uncharacteristic of, of Darren Waller. And I don't know what we're going to see. They say that it was a hamstring injury. He played, I think, eight snaps in Kansas City, um, you know, earlier this season. And then they just shut him down there for a few weeks. And he's still out there around the city with his girlfriend. You know, Kelsey Plum, uh, who plays for the Las Vegas Aces, just did like some tree lighting thing. Or He's still out there and around, and she threw out the first pitch in San Diego uh, during the uh, baseball playoffs. And yeah, he's still hanging around, but who knows what's up with him because he's not engaged. He didn't seem or appear to be, you know, engaged like he was a season ago. And then uh, Hunter Renfro, you know, played six games. Great possession guy, but he never really got into a groove. Um, they said that it was an oblique injury against the Jaguars. He got uh, concussed in the Arizona game where he fumbled at the end of the game and they returned it for six. And so I don't know what what this team looks like when those two return. I don't know if Darren Waller is mad about something or I don't know. I don't know. There's some there's something wrong. You can see that there's some sort of issues and maybe there's too much talent on that offensive end. Uh, where maybe he doesn't think he's going to get the football as much because of the emergence of Devontae Adams. Sure. No one knows. Yeah. I, I gotta, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, well, first of all, you got a couple of former Patriots in your backfield with, you know, Jakob Johnson you talked about, Brandon Bolden, but Josh Jacobs is the one that's, you know, having the year. And what kind of a back has he been? And, and why don't the Raiders rely on him more? Seems like they could. Yeah, it, it really does. And that's perplexing, you know, in and of itself. I mean, it's been three stars on offense, uh, basically two, because no one really considers, you know, Derek Carr, I think, still flies under the radar. But it's been Josh Jacobs, and it's been Devontae Adams. Mm -hmm. And Jacobs, 
the Raiders could stand to lose at the end of the season because they did not extend him in his contract. And so he'll be a free agent at the end of the season, which is crazy. And he just he comes up with the big plays. And I like where they use the two-back set. I do. It's power football. It's old-school football. I say they should go with two tight ends at times. Uh, you have another good tight end who can catch the ball as well and Foster Moreau. And I would just try to play some power football. And I, I just can't understand why they just would change formations. Or it, it, You almost get the feeling that McDaniels tries to outsmart his opponents at times rather than if he just stuck to a game plan. I think that they might be more successful. But Jacobs is the workhorse of this team. And Devontae Adams, we can see how he can stretch the field if you get, you know, a healthy or semi-healthy Hunter Renfro and uh, Darren Waller back, it could be a very dangerous offense, but sure. a lot remains to be seen, and I don't know what those two players are going to be like, and they should just run the football and let Josh Jacobs eat if they need to, <laughs> and again, like just continue to just grind it out and win games, but sure. they're not. They'll the- just call it a, you know, a silly play. Whenever Whenever I'll tell you one thing though, John. Yep. Whenever Derek Carr audibleizes, it's always going to be like a horrible play because he just checks off into like the worst plays you've ever seen. So. Yeah, that's there's a criticism I think of almost any quarterback that audibles wrongly <laughs> or poorly. <laughs> let's let's say right. Uh, one more quick thing about the defense. You know, obviously there's a couple familiar names for Patriots fans. You got Chandler Jones at one end. You got Deron Harmon who plays back in the defensive backfield at, at safety. Where's the Achilles heel? What has been the Achilles heel in your estimation for this team? And, and if you were attacking the Raiders defense, where would you head first? Uh, you got to get to that next level, to the second level, I think, and then you can uh, really just make hay, if you will. Uh, you know, because uh, you know, Denzel Perriman is is questionable. Um, Jayon Brown is is on injured reserve. They're mm-hmm. playing. I guess Luke Masterson uh, is taking over for Divine Diablo, who won't be back, uh, perhaps for the remainder of the season. Yeah, that's uh, that's the area that is of greatest concern, I think. And then you know the secondary. Uh, they've sort of held their own. And you were talking about Chandler Jones. Mm-hmm. And, the you know, the one thing that I've noticed about what Patrick Graham has, has done, uh, one of the positive things that he's done, is that they put Chandler Jones uh, in more of a flex position, if you will, on the edge now. So as soon as they started to make that change, where he's not down in his stance, where he's a stand-up guy right there on the edge, he's been productive. Um, and you can see it coming on. And he had a three-sack game against the Chargers. His first sack of the season was against the Chargers late in the season. So people are like, why did we go out and acquire this guy? And then he had the one sack against uh, against the Rams and you know, Max Crosby. I mean, what else can you say? Yeah. Uh, right now, he's probably Defensive Player of the Year, I would think. He could be, uh, Definitely sure. under high consideration. Mm-hmm. 11 and a half sacks, 72 tackles, three forced fumbles, so many hurries. And I, I think, you know, I tuned in for just a minute earlier, and I, I think the reason why they flip-flop those two tackles is because I don't think that Trent Brown wanted to go up against Max Crosby. I think that's <laughs> what really happened. <laughs> that may very well end up being the case. I think it'll be interesting to see what the Patriots decide to do, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, keeping Max Crosby uh, from uh, obliterating uh, a guy like Mac Jones. Hey, Tony, great to visit with you. Thanks for a little bit of your time and knowledge, and uh, keep getting it done there in Sin City. Awesome. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. And, uh, 
it's going to be, I don't think it's going to be a great or a high scoring game, but it should be interesting. There's going to be some drama, I believe, on Sunday. I would agree with that. I think there'll be a lot of stories within the story that we'll be following along. Thanks, Tony. Thank you. You got it. Tony Cordasco, if you want to follow him on Twitter, it's at Tony Dasco, D-A-S-C-O. He just kind of shortened the last name, but his last name is really Cordasco. It's on 1140 AM, The Bet in Vegas, and also does Locked on Vegas podcast as well. And uh, some really good insight on the Raiders, I thought. Look, let's pull no punches here. You know, this team is actually in position to do what it did last year. They won four straight to make the playoffs. He doesn't seem to think that it's going to happen this year, and largely – could be because they're still experiencing growing pains in Josh McDaniel's first year as head coach. Well, but that's a problem for them to take care of, I suppose. Max Crosby, we didn't really spend enough time talking about, but yeah, he's having the kind of year that, you know, if he had any kind of help at all, yeah, you'd probably be hearing him definitively as a, you know, defensive player of the year candidate. Right now, you know, you're probably hearing more about a guy like Matt Judon than you are about Max Crosby, largely because of the fate of the respective teams overall. Sometimes you play better when you go right at the big cheese, though. You go right at them as opposed to trying to run against them. I, I, I think that matchup and, and what the Patriots decide to do with him will be one of the fascinating stories within the story uh, on Sunday when the uh, Patriots and Raiders finally do kick off. A real woman could stop you from drinking. It has to be a real big woman. It's time to go around the NFL with football guru Russell Baxter. Now on, your name is Flounder. On Patriots Playbook. Flounder. Russell Baxter, profootballguru.com himself, at BaxFootballGuru. Week 15 of the NFL is already here. Good afternoon, Russell. How are you today? I'm good. I'm tempted to ask you if Tony Cordasco was saucy. Was who? Saucy. Do, no, I okay. I got you. I got you. I get it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Very. Very good. Okay. I got it. I got it. That one. That one flew right over my head, Russell. Right over. I got it my- right away, Russell, but didn't know which drop to play. <laughs> Not all dad jokes hit. I like, it. I like it, Tony. Uh, Tony's a very entertaining character. So, I mean, I guess you got to be to be a talk show, you know, entertainer in Las Vegas, right? Kind of like you know, you know. And I've done, you know, I've done a little radio out in Vegas and stuff like that with some guys out there and and so on. And you you will recall that uh, the late Don Bank, yes, was going to be the Raiders guy. Yes, out in Vegas. Yes, he was. He Don Don was with us here in New England working for. Uh, Patriots.com and, and the old Patriots yep. Football Weekly for a year before uh, he got the job uh, out in Vegas to be their first beat writer. I met him. I actually met him the last time I saw you, which was at the Patriots Colts Thursday night game, which yep. was, I think, 2018. Yep, yep. Um, and then I was with Don uh, at the Pro Football Hall of Fame. We kind of sat next to each other, mm-hmm. um, which was the weekend he passed away. Yeah, no kidding. Shocker for what everybody. Yeah, Russ, what a great, nice, kind. I, I I remember he said to me, uh, because you know how I like to do shout outs on Twitter, of course. And um, I, I you know I put out stuff to, you know loads, loads of prominent writers and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And when I saw him in Canton, the first thing he said to me, John, was, "I really appreciate you doing that, but I don't belong with those people." <laughs> yeah. I think that's the kind, of, but that's the kind of guy that's he, you know, he was. Yeah. was. Yeah, 
he's uh, yeah. extraordinarily uh, self-deprecating, and you know, didn't you know put a whole lot of stock in what he did. Although he what he yeah. did he did at a very high level, as obviously his time at Sports Illustrated and such would would have indicated yeah. before um, uh, before layoffs got him, like they invariably get everybody in this business at one time or another. So um, you know, it looks like over the course of a week. You know, last week I was all bummed out over these Patriots and the direction they were heading, and it took a twenty-seven to thirteen sort of eh, kind of affair over the uh, the Cardinals on Monday night to renew some of my enthusiasm for this team. A- am I am I a misguided soul here for thinking this way about the New England Patriots right now? Well, you know, last week I I, I did peace and we kind of talked about it a little. Um, what I was going to do, I don't think it had come out when I, you and I did our segment last week. Mm-hmm. Um, but because of what had happened with the Chargers and the Patriots the last couple of weeks, they had kind of brought the Raiders, the Steelers, and the Browns back into the playoff picture. Yeah. Um, so what happens this past week? Um, the Raiders get Baker Mayfield. Okay. Or Baker Mayfielded, I should say. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, the Browns, uh, you know, were stifled by, you know, the hottest team in the AFC right now, Cincinnati. And, uh, you know, Pittsburgh lost Kenny Pickett. Mitch Trubisky throws three interceptions. Bottom line, they, they all lose. The Chargers beat Miami. The Patriots win. Um, they're, now they're both back above 500. And you, you do have to feel a little better. You know, because the AFC is, a real dogfight this year as far as playoff teams. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for the most part, you've got half the conference uh, above 500. It's different in the NFC where you only have seven teams with a winning record, right. and four of them are in the same division. Right, right. So it, it, it begs, that, I don't know what's going to happen in the next four weeks. This week's obviously very interesting. No more bye week, no more off week. So we got football on Thursday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. My kind of, you know, throw a Friday game in there. That'll make me happy too. Um, <laughs> but it's going to be interesting to see how this stretch run comes out. Um, and you know, some you know, you look at Jacksonville. Is Jacksonville capable of catching Tennessee in the AFC South? It's certainly possible. Especially they just beat them at Nashville. Yeah. Okay, right. and then you look at the NFC South, and could Carolina upend the Buccaneers in that division? Um, I so mean, I mean, it's, yeah, that's why this season is fun. That's why you can never have the season ended today. Yeah, 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 yeah. It doesn't work that way. Um, and it's going to be a fascinating run toward the end here, and you know, the schedule makers on how they manage it and so on. I mean, it, to me, the two biggest games. On Sunday, and we I know we have Buffalo, Miami, and we have Cleveland, Baltimore on Saturday and stuff, but the two most interesting games are the Patriots and Raiders and the Titans and the Chargers. Yeah. A couple of good ones. All right, so let's start at least. I, I, and I don't usually do this, but because it's a, it's a significant game, I think, on a Thursday night in particular, tonight's game, 49ers and the Seahawks, has a lot to do with what's going on within the NFC. Uh, but the 49ers... Look like over the last couple of weeks they've turned themselves into a true NFC contender, you know, maybe after Philadelphia. True or false on that one? Oh, I don't think there's any question about it. And they're probably in the conversation 
like Philly for the reason a lot of people like Philadelphia, and that's the offensive and defensive line. Okay? Mm-hmm. I mean, they are on their third different starting quarterback. All right? It was almost their fourth different starting quarterback, but Adam Schefter reported that Brock Purdy is going to start tonight, and he's been um, pretty good. Uh, um, yeah. <laughs> I get two in a show. <laughs> Matt says he can't give you two rim shots in the same show. That's okay. I, I didn't deserve it for the first one anyway. So, Apparently, he didn't go. Matt didn't go to the Tony Bruno School of Broadcasting. I can't give you two rim shots in five minutes. Now <laughs> <laughs> that's a blast from the past. Right? No but, kidding. Listen, they the the here here's a little context for you. The last time the Niners lost a football game, well, middle of the year, they lost back-to-back games to the Falcons, which the Falcons mm-hmm. ran all over them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they came home and got whacked by the Chiefs. In those two games alone, they gave up 72 points. Ooh. In their last six games, all wins, they've given up 64 points. Wow, yeah. So, you know, their they're, they're defense, you talk about defensive Player candidates, the Niners probably have a couple. Fred Warner is always in the discussion, but but Nick Bosa looks like Nick Bosa again, and he's been really terrorizing guys. And you know, Seattle has kind of somewhat hit the skids here, but uh, you know, the night the last time the Niners swept, they, this has always been a Seattle series for the most part, and the last time the, the 49ers swept the, the Seahawks was way back in 2011. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, Pete Carroll's been there, there the entire time. Um, you know, Seattle looks like it's a little bit on the ropes right now. I wouldn't count them out tonight, although the Niners obviously have a lot to play for here, John. If they win, they win the NFC West. Right. I was about to say, they definitely can clinch it tonight. Hey, we got three right. games. By the way, what? By the way, they have not lost a divisional game this year. They're 4 0. Okay. And many of them are the lopsided variety. And they're three and three away from home. Three and three away from home. The 49ers, right? So just just kind of thought I'd throw that out there. We've got three games on Saturday. Oh yeah. They're, listen, there's there's different. You know, as you know this year, the NFC gets nine home games. Last <laughs> that's year right. the AFC got nine. That's right. Games. Yep, that's true. That's true. So extra home games should play in their favor, you would think. Uh three Saturday games, Colts at Vikings, Ravens at Browns. But the one that I think most Patriots fans will probably have a an ear or an eyeball crack to would be the Dolphins at Bills on Saturday night. You know, and, and I'm reading today how Tua Tagovailoa cannot play uh, in games that are, you know, colder than 60 degrees. Ha! You know, it's going to be rough in the buff, as Cotton Fitzsimmons used to tell me uh, about Buffalo. I don't think they'll have 77 inches of snow on the ground like they had earlier this year when they had to move that game to Detroit. But I just, I mean, I think this will be the supreme challenge, you know, for Miami, number one. And number two, Miami's starting to slip a little bit. And I think the Bills may end up pushing them this week uh, into a full-fledged fall. What are your thoughts? Well, let's keep two things in mind. The Dolphins did beat the Bills earlier this year. They did. Um, Snap a long losing streak to them, as a matter of fact. They did. Um, To me, you know, there's been a lot made, and I'm not saying that has played very well the last few weeks. I mean, combined the two games against the Niners and the Chargers, he's under 50% completion percentage. Okay. okay. Yep. But I, I heard a lot 
this week and especially today on, in certain places about, you know, facing premier pass rushers and all that. And that's all well and good. What I didn't hear against the 49ers game, and I, you know, it was just two weeks ago, is why wasn't the person talking about the pass rushers talking about the fact that the Miami Dolphins played that game without their starting left tackle and starting right tackle? Mm-hmm. I would seem to think that that would make a difference, wouldn't you, John? Yeah, kind of. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Especially when you're going to get Nick Bose in that pass rush. Last week, they, you know, and, and uh, Austin Jackson is now on IR, so they're out there starting right tackle. Okay? So right. my, my point is, is I think there's other factors besides him slumping a little and so on. Um, the other factor is that Mike McDaniel, who is, you know, obviously Kyle Shan- Shanahan knows a little about him. Right. Which I think played into the Niners' loss as well, right. to a degree. Um, they have, even with the new offensive coordinator and new attack and stuff, the Dolphins haven't run the ball in about five years. Wow, yeah, that's true. Okay? Yeah. So they are extremely one dimensional. As time goes on, that one dimension gets worse. And if you're going to go up to Buffalo and not be able to run the football, I mean, the Bills can tell you about that problem itself. So I think you're right. I think Buffalo could really push them down. Uh, a big peg. Now, the thing to keep in mind is even if they lose a third straight game, the Dolphins are sitting with an 8-6 record. Right. Okay? So as far as... But that gives the Patriots with a win. Patriots with a win can, you know, jump up and tie them and potentially, I guess, could end up, you know, if they can Mm -hmm. win that last game that they'll play here in Foxborough, be ahead of them in the the playoff in the wildcard standings. Right. Well, again, I, I think... You know, someone in the AFC, and it would be so ironic if it was Miami, and I'm not predicting that, don't get me wrong, okay? Miami, who has finished with a winning record the past two seasons and missed the playoffs both times. Right. Remember, they were 10-6 and six right. in 2020 and missed the playoffs. They were 9-8 and eight last year and missed the playoffs. So that would be ironic, to say the least. Sure. Um, but, um, you know, Buffalo, the one thing about them, and I know I've spoken about this before is that ball security thing yeah the fact that they do not do a good job and josh allen's a big part of that sure okay sure but i mean you're talking about a team that they take away the football okay they're up among the nfl leaders in take a base of 22 but they've turned over the ball 20 times in 13 games mm, good Lord. so and, and it has nothing to do with weather it's just the style which josh allen plays right and so on so right. that to me would give the dolphins a fighting chance, but unless they're going up there and intend on running the ball 35 times for 130 yards and taking some pressure mm-hmm. off of uh, their quarterback and their wide receivers, they could be in for a very rough day. And I believe if Buffalo win, Buffalo can clinch a playoff spot with they, a win on Saturday. They can. They definitely can. You know, I think if you had, uh, you know, put me in a time capsule or in, into suspended animation about six or seven years ago. Uh, and then wake me up all of a sudden, and I look at this weekend's lineup, and, and I see Lions at Jets, I would have think, oh, my God, what an awful game. And yet, actually, Lions and Jets may be the one game other than the Patriot game that I'm actually looking forward to watching as much as anything else this week because the Lions are so stinking hot, and the Jets, well, they're the Jets. But the Patriots are, you know, locked in another battle with the JETS and the AFC East. And uh, I, I would not look past the Lions at all in this one. Mm-mm. No, and, and 
I think for the first time in about two years, they actually haven't given up the most points in the league that now belongs to the Arizona Cardinals. Mm-hmm. Not that their defense is fearsome at all. Mm-hmm. You can move the ball, but you know, you're talking about, think about this, you're talking about two teams last year. Both finished last in the division. The two of them combined to win seven games. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. The Jets have seven wins by themselves. The Lions have six. Right. Um, and it's funny, you know, the, the Lions last week, in doing what they did against Minnesota, um, I mean, you can only be impressed. Again, defensively, they've been a sieve. Uh, but, boy, they play with a lot of spunk and they play with a lot of fire, and I don't know where they're headed. And, you know, they haven't been to the playoffs since 2016. Ironically, the Jets haven't been to the playoffs since 2010, which is the longest active drought sure. in the league right now. So um, it's it's going to be Mike White with Zach Wilson in, in, in backup. Jared Goff has been uh, pretty tremendous. But, you know, I agree with you. But that's what makes the league so much fun, that we do see these last-place teams um, do what they do. Remember last year we had three last-place teams from the previous year make the playoffs. Yeah. Philadelphia, Cincinnati, and San Francisco. Cincinnati wound up in the Super Bowl. San Francisco won them the NFC title game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're resurrecting themselves, which is actually kind of cool. Well, a, a, a stat you'll see in one of my columns later today is, think about this, John. The eight last-place teams from a year ago have won 49 games already this season. That's crazy. That's, uh, and, and, and that's pretty good considering all of last season they won 41. That's crazy. I mean, I just it, – it, did the league – is that the league's doing or is that, is that the individual team's doing? Who, who gets credit for that? Um, I think it's just the nature of the fact that we don't have a super team in this league. Yeah. Um, and we haven't had a super team in this league in an awfully long time. We've had some – great defensive teams like the 2015 Broncos, the 2013 Seahawks. The last team, for me, this is for me, that I remember being pretty dominant on both sides of the ball would probably have to be the 2004 Patriots. Yeah. Okay, that's fair. They were 14-2. and two. Yeah. They lost. You know, they lost. They, they, they lost their winning streak to the Steelers, who they beat later in the AFC title game convincingly. Um, you know, they 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 lost a, a Monday night game, I think, at Miami late in the year. But they were they could run the ball. With Corey Dillon, they could throw. Their defense was outstanding. Peyton Manning last, that year threw forty nine touchdown passes, got three points in the divisional playoffs. I thought that team, both sides of the ball, I mean, in case of the Patriots, all three sides of the ball was absolutely outstanding. Again, we've had some dominant defensive performances over the last 20 years, but as far as an offensive and defensive team, and to me that was still the best of their six Super Bowl title teams was 2004. 2004, yeah. And, of course, the team that might have been better than any of them was the one that didn't win the Super right. Bowl in 2007. Well, you got to close the deal. Yeah, so. yeah, you do. you got to close, and they couldn't close. All right, two other games that I certainly have some intrigue, I think, especially when it comes to the Patriots and their playoff chances uh, over the last four weeks of the season. Uh, Titans playing at the Chargers, both teams at 7-6. and six. And, of course, next week's opponent, the Bengals, at 9-4, and four, looking a little bit more like the uh, the defending AFC champs, but they got to go on the road and play Tom Brady. And the Bucks are six and seven. 
but still ahead in the NFC South. Um, I, I just, you know, first of all, uh, I, I'm not sure that going on the road and playing at Tampa will be any small task for, for the Bengals, but I'm not even sure what to think about the Titans and the Chargers, especially when New England is concerned just yet. Well, Tennessee's gone in the skids. They've lost three in a row. Um, and the last two, uh, their last two games, they've given up, what, 71 points, 35 to the Eagles? Right. 36 to Jacksonville. They're right. They're over the pole again. Right. Um, you know, they, they, it's not inconceivable that Jacksonville could catch them. And meanwhile, in the NFC South, you just talked about Tampa Bay. It's not inconceivable that the Carolina Panthers yeah, you mentioned that, right. could catch the Buccaneers. Right. And uh, Cincinnati looks like a better team than they did a year ago than when they went to the Super Bowl. Uh, you know, they, they remember they were 0-2. So they've won nine of their last 13 games. Um, and, again, here's a balanced team. They can run. They can throw. Uh, you know, defensively, uh, at times they can still be had, don't get me wrong, or anything. But it's a team, I think, playing with a lot more confidence uh, than it did earlier in the season. Um, I want to say when they were – here's a number for you. Uh, and You remember the issues they had with their offensive line last year, John. Sure. In the first eight games of the year, they were 4-4 four and four and gave up 30 sacks. Uh, they've won five straight games and given up eight. Wow. They've solved some issues, haven't they? Um, well, little continuity with three newcomers will help. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For sure. Something, I think, for the Patriots to worry about next week. So, the Patriots mm-hmm. worrying this week about the Raiders. Uh, old friend Josh McDaniels, who uh, I, I think it's certainly, at best, been a mixed bag of results for him in Vegas in his first year back as a head coach. There's some in Vegas that, you know, hey, you got to give him time, you got to give him time. There are others that are ready to write him out of town on a court of wood. Uh, you know, frankly, I'm not sure that the, uh, the Raiders could even afford to do that if they wanted to do that after just one year. But, you know, be that as it may, it looks like the Raiders could be getting back some offensive pieces to their puzzle that they've been missing over the last few weeks in terms of some receivers. They have a very good running back thus far that you know uh, is, is having a phenomenal statistical year. And yet the Patriots' strong suit has certainly been their defense and a pass rush that seems to have gotten a little bit of energy injected into them in Josh Uche's performance of late. Yeah, and they'll put a lot of heat on Derek Carr. I don't think there's any question about it. And, and you talked about old friends. This is kind of an older friend. Uh, but the guy who's kind of woken up, he had three sacks a couple of weeks ago for the Raiders is Chandler Jones. Right. Who, for the vast majority of this year, was an absolute fun factor. In make a case, he was maybe the most disappointing free agent addition in the entire league. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, you talked earlier about Max Crosby. I mean, he's just so relentless. He's yeah, just, he is. Um, you know, he's out there, for lack of a better word, he's out there having a good time. Um, <laughs> but unfortunately for the Raiders, Last week, they blew, what, a 13-point lead against the Rams, mm-hmm. which was kind of, I guess, a step in the right direction, considering earlier this year they blew, get ready for this, they blew three 17-point leads mm. in games they lost. Mm-hmm. So um, don't shut off the TV, but, you know, it's 30-16. to 16. Mm-hmm. No, I don't think I would, and no. I think that's and I think that's the solace that Patriot fans can take in this one. That if if the Raiders yeah. get up early, uh, the Raiders have you know you know uh, they've gacked up a few this already this year. Uh, it's one of the things we talked about earlier in the show today. And so, in in all honesty, um, I don't think anybody's going to be out of this game at any stretch until we mm-hmm. get down to zero 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 left on the clock. 
Yeah, and in the case of the Raiders, who I want to say played have played, I think three overtime games. That might even not do it. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. We might even go into extra time because of it. That's true. All right. Well, we're going to find out. We got to play them. I just tell you that, uh, in, in all honesty, uh, as I said earlier. Uh, a week ago, I wouldn't have given the Patriots a snowball chance in hell <laughs> as far mm-hmm. as the postseason is concerned. But after watching what we did Monday night, even though it was somewhat underwhelming, uh, the more that I think about it, the more I reevaluate, the more I'm thinking, you know what? That defense might be enough if they get any kind of consistency and keep from making mistakes on offense. That might be good enough to get them into the postseason. Winning is another another story entirely, but getting in right now, I think most people would consider that to be the step in the right direction for New England. Well, in the seven wins this year, they've held all seven teams to 17 points or less. There you go. That seems to be the magic number for them. Okay. Can I jump off this game for one second? You can. I got to throw out the Dallas Cowboys thing. Okay, go. Which is more about more about the Jacksonville Jaguars. Okay, do it. Sometimes you stumble about something that just blows your mind. Okay. Um, the Cowboys are playing the Jaguars this week. Yeah. Um, Jacksonville has not won a game against the NFC this year. Hmm. In fact, John, they haven't won a game against the NFC in quite a while. How long? Um, I had to double-check this when I dug it up. The Jacksonville Jaguars have lost 20 straight games versus NFC teams. Wow. I had no idea. That's flabbergasting. 20 straight games. And, it, it, in the, and ironically, the win streak or the loose, losing streak started with a loss to the Cowboys back in 2018. Oh, oh, so you're telling me we're talking a bookend type of weekend at home for the Jags? Listen, I'm going to go back and check. They might have lost, not only lost, 20 games to the NFC, they might have lost a couple games to the SEC. Yeah, that's true. Especially a year or two ago, right? (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I mean, it's funny because, remember last year, they actually snapped a 20-game overall losing streak Mm -hmm. when they finally, which which was, you know, they were threatening the Buccaneers record there for a while. Right, they sure were. So, I mean, listen, it's been tough times in Jacksonville. We know that. Yeah. if the Titans keep on cooperating and the Jaguars can steal a few wins, who knows what the AFC South is going to look like? Yeah, I guess anything's possible. Let's play them. Let's 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 kick it off and let's play them. Russell, thank yeah. you as always, my friend. Appreciate you. All right, enjoy the, the football smorgasbord this week. It's it's a good smorgasbord this week. I'll enjoy yeah, it. No more off weeks. No, no, no more off weeks. We're ready to roll. Ready to roll. Yeah. Talk to you soon again, my friend. Thank you. You got it. All right. Russell Baxter, at Bax Football Guru on Twitter, where you find him. God, that I had that's a great nugget. Twenty straight L's against the NFC. Started the streak with the Cowboys. And who do they have at home this week? The Cowboys. Wow. Okay. It's good. I like the fact though that he that this is something that was, you know, we're, we're so close to the forest we can't see the trees for. Patriots the line, the line of demarcation is 17. Okay, so if they can hold the Raiders into that into that area, then the Patriots should win this game, right? Wow, I you know I guess I that just did not dawn on me. I'm not sure they can do that though. 
Again, I look, I know that the Raiders have struggled on offense. I, I can see them running the ball. I can see them slowly working, you know, their injured receivers potentially back into it. I don't know how much of a factor they'll be, as, you know, Evan told us from Arizona earlier in the program, but I just I don't know if they can hold them to 17. I, I think the Patriots, because the Raiders have, have had, you know, some, some issues, especially in the second level, as Tony Cordasco was telling us earlier, I think the Patriots can get 17. I mean, they got 20 against uh, the Cardinals on offense and then got the one defensive touchdown. You know, the Patriots can be in that 20 to 24 again, I think. Question is, will the defense hold the Raiders to that or less? I, I'm, I, I'm going to go 24-20, New England. I'm going to take it. I'm going to go 24-20. And I think it's going to be nail-biting time right down to the end. What are your thoughts? All right. That's going to do it for the program. Our thanks to Tony Cordasco from 1140 The Bet in Vegas, Russell Baxter, uh, Big Head, Jumbo, Andy Hart, Evan Lazar checking in from Arizona, and he'll be heading with the team to Las Vegas on Saturday as well. We'll do the same patch time, same patch channel next Thursday when the Patriots return home and they get the defending AFC champ, Cincinnati Bengals here on Christmas Eve at Gillette. So enjoy the games this weekend. Talk to you next Thursday. Thank you for downloading this podcast. Subscribe on Apple, Google Play, and everywhere else you listen. Like the show? Please rate and review us. Listener comments and ratings help keep us high in the podcast rankings so new listeners can find us. Be sure to check Patriots.com for more news and more podcasts.